Hello, hello, hello out there. Hey, it's Chet Czar. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. Got a great episode for you today. My interview with Wendy Gadzik. She does really great um, uh, assemblage art and 2D art, and she's just really music. She's really cool, really cool. Great uh, Dark Art Society community member very active and um been wanting to have her on now uh for a while now and i finally did and we had a long conversation so this is a nice long one really fun really easy to talk to really cool so um that's coming up uh i will keep this short because this is a pretty long episode but um i've been working you know still working on my chaos show that's going well it's hot as hell here in southern california um, so I'm not really going outside at all, just sitting indoors next to the air conditioner painting and working on the dystopia book, which is, uh, done. It's done. It is, we found the printer. Uh, I'm waiting to get a contract from them. Got the prices set. So that's exciting. It's going to be, you know, probably, you know, by maybe the end of the week or the beginning of next week, it's going to be out of my hands and out printing. So that's amazing. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, and um, let's see what else is going on. Uh, that's the main thing, really. Just busy, busy as usual. Um, trying to keep up with the chaos paintings i'm getting i'm at the point now where i'm at the difficult stage where it's like everything is blocked out it's got kind of all the fun inspiring part is over because i started them all and then there's that middle part in between you know beginning and finishing where it's just like oh man you're kind of trudging along and it's hard to tell how much something needs or what it needs still and it just kind of takes longer this is the long part uh, i think i find that the initial you know, starting, especially if you're really inspired, kind of goes fast. And, um, but I'm, I'm going through it, you know, like I always do. Uh, what else is going on? <laughs> so much going on. And I, and I come here to talk about it and I just blank out. I'm kind of screwed up today because I slept on my arm wrong last night. My shoulder woke me up at like 4:30 in the morning and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I just got up then I, around twelve thirty, I hit hit a wall and had to lay down, and take a nap. But then I woke up like a couple hours later. Now I'm all, you know, discombobulated and trying to, and then realizing I had a bunch of stuff I was supposed to do today, and now it's late. Anyway, so um, it is. Uh, it is, by the way, Tuesday, August tenth, twenty twenty one. I I still can never manage to to do that i would really wish i had that at the beginning of every episode but i always forget anyway let's get on with it um let's get on with the new subscribers and just get on with the interview because it's a really fun one uh let's see uh i'm not prepared for this um yeah if you want to join the patreon i'm telling you i'm telling you you can tr just try it one month for one dollar you can spend one dollar and and try it because it's so worth it because you, you know, just the, the, the Facebook group is so great, so great, so active. 
it's it's uh it's just excellent and everybody i've made so many great friends in there and everybody really loves each other and supports supports each other whether you're a dark art fan or a dark artist it's really it's the best i can't think of a better community online anywhere for uh people into this kind of stuff i really i haven't seen it if it exists so um yeah just go to patreon.com slash dark art society like i say try it for one month and uh it's easy to cancel if you don't like it or you know you're not into it so um uh okay let's get into new subscribers um oh, i gotta check my messages randall perkins always kindly lets me know because he knows uh i have trouble keeping track of all this stuff okay let's see last subscriber was dan kelly dan manhands kelly that was uh where i left off last week let's see if there's any new subscribers uh yes okay this is a tough one to to um pronounce petja pustisek thank you so much petja uh john richer thank you john liz kelly thank you liz uh eric lamarca thank you eric chris badenock Thank you. Wow, that's a lot. Thanks, everybody. Make sure if I read your name, you know, go find the Dark Art Society Cooperative on Facebook if you're on Facebook and um, send us an uh, 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 send us a request and we'll we'll let you in. Um, okay, is that it? I think that's it. Let's just get on with the interview. Um, oh, I could do the the synesthesia name word of the week. Because uh, I'll do Wendy, because Wendy's a good one, a strong one. Now it's a weird one. Um, <clears throat> Wendy uh, is the same taste as the name Mary and the name Cindy. Now go figure that one out. All three of those names, to me, have the, the taste of eating a raw hot dog cold from the fridge. It's true. It, in my brain, it is. So, you know, it's weird. It's weird. I can't explain it. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. And here we go. Episode 214, Wendy Gadzik. Hello, Wendy. Hi, Chet. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Anytime, anytime. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I feel kind of like uh, Eric Messenger, I think, too, you had last week. Uh-huh. And uh, when he said this was a bucket list for him, I'm like, I feel the exact same way. <laughs> That's cool. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> oh, well, we're honored to have you. Um, yeah, I love your stuff. I, I, I'm, we don't have an, uh, enough assembl- assemblage artists on, or, or we haven't had many, I think. I think one maybe only now uh well no because there's three who are three artists who i i really like and admire and oh two yeah of them, totally. friends of mine there's uh, uh liz mcgrath yeah liz mcgrath well yeah yeah okay okay stephanie yeah. vega and Ave rose and and who Ave rose yeah what am i thinking we've had no and chris <laughs> cooksey 
Oh, yeah. So it's course. been like your number so five? Four of the hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it all. It's all a blur to me. But anyway, I mean, I, I just... Uh, I love assemblage art. It's like it's see, I, I secretly fantasize about creating it, and I just don't have time to do it. But it just seems like so fun. It seems like so much fun. Yeah, and just like well, you kind of do that with your frames, which I really like about your work—the way you integrate them into your work instead of looking at them as something different. Oh, thanks. Well, just yeah, now. I mean, that's the very minimum, though. I love the yeah. I love the idea of just you know, it's very like. Uh, uh, kind of like uh, like alterish, you know, like spiritual yeah. or magical. It's like arranging objects on a surface totally. and getting this flow to it. It's very, it's like kind of spiritual. It seems like assemblage yeah. stuff, like when it's done well. Uh, yeah, don't you yeah. think? I do, and I was just talking with a friend of mine because I mean, part of you know, a, a lot of the hours that I spend on my work is collecting objects, you know? Yeah, and right. Everybody asks, where do you get all your stuff? And it's like, well, I, you know, wherever I can. Thrift <laughs> <laughs> stores, flea markets, uh, trash picking, yep. things I find on my walks. Um, people give me stuff all the time. I used to have a neighbor in this big loft apartment building I lived in Oakland. And every so often, he would just leave boxes of random stuff outside the door. <laughs> um, I met people on Instagram who I don't even know who just, hey, like, hey, I have this box of stuff that I want to send you. I'm like, awesome. Wow, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's great. <laughs> it's great. But now my studio is just filling up with stuff. And, yeah. And I'm not complaining because I totally appreciate gifts in any way. And, and I love having all this stuff to work with but um oh my god my studio is a disaster right i bet yeah i mean that's i think um most artists seem to be kind of i don't want to say hoarders but like collectors of weird oddities yes. i'd like it, to call myself a collector not yeah. a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> there's a fine line i know there's a fine line for me that's for damn sure but um uh, I that's you know I rare, rarely do I see a, a, a studio that doesn't have a lot of cool crap all over it in artist studio. Yeah. It just seems kind of like part of the part of the deal. And I don't trust people whose studios are too organized. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like where aren't you letting go? Aren't you supposed to be letting go and getting crazy? But you know everyone's got their own way, I suppose. But right. Um, I just saw. Um, I guess you just did you just post a picture of your studio? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that and I showed Tony. I'm like, look, his his studio is kind of messy too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's clean for me too. That's like awesome. <laughs> I had just right before I started all these paintings, I I did a massive, like the most clean biggest cleaning and organizing I've ever done. And it's like it's like now that I'm deep into this show. Uh uh, it's all you know, this hap it just happens. it's part of the process. Everything gets to be a huge mess and it's like right it gets so much worse than that it, it gets to the point where i can't even i can't stand it anymore there's like a, yeah. i have a high tolerance for for messes i very you know you can see my office here i've got a high tolerance for it but there's a point that i just cannot it's like i have yeah. to I'll, or otherwise i'll just start throwing stuff and putting it in a pile and get it you know just going crazy um, yeah but i know I, i'm like my living space is always for the most part very organized and clean um you know except for a couple of random piles but mm. for some reason my studio my workspace and my car 
Um, <laughs> I mean, not trashed, but I don't take the same care as I do in my my home for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We a lot of, a lot of us seem to uh, just view cars as modes of transportation. We just right. did it just for getting places. It's not about totally. you know. That's how I've always. Yeah viewed it although i can appreciate nice cars and stuff it's like i've yes. never i've never looked at my own cars as anything other than a, a way to get somewhere and back that yeah. i need to be that Practical. has to do with my getting food or my art career or something that matters to me going to the hospital right. whatever the doctor or something right. <laughs> um but i was was thinking about um you know talking about all this stuff and arranging stuff and organizing stuff um as far as assemblage work goes um you know, I sometimes do think about all the stuff that I have and mm. I get overwhelmed. And then I just had this revelation kind of recently, like, that's what I do. Like, I I take this chaos and I put it, you know, some semblance of order to mm -hmm. this, this chaos. Yeah. And, and I had a friend who I just went over to her house last week. And she gave me some jewelry making supplies that she was kind of downsizing. And she said that she was trying to get rid of a lot of her extra stuff because there's this, you know, not only does it take up space, but it holds this energy. And I was like, yeah, it does. But I'm like, but I think that's part of my work, too. It's like not only like physically organizing this stuff into some kind of beautiful organized form, but like also manipulating the energy that's inside it and, and changing it into something that flows in a different way. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of like your, your studio with all, all, all of your stuff, your raw materials is like, uh, it's like the, the chaotic creative place right from which all the the ordered art pieces come from you know yes it's like you're taking the chaos and then you're, you're putting it into order and yeah there's just, there's so much about assemblage art that can really that's really got that that kind of like sacred space cosmic energy and you know because because a lot of these things have you know they're old and they and they've been owned by a bunch of different you know a lot of them have been owned by different pe all kinds of different people and different circumstances and yeah you know anybody that's sensitive to that stuff you pick up an object and you can feel the energy and it's and, and you know it's i imagine uh i imagine you have felt bad energy from things you've had and good energy i mean it's and in a way you're maybe you're i don't know you're transforming that into some other kind of energy, maybe. Yeah, and I don't think when I'm actually working with materials, I'm not necessarily aware of that. Yeah. But it still kind of dictates my process in some sort of way, even if it's subconscious. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, that. Yeah, that's that's art. That's the art making process for you know. I think most of us is like a subconscious uh, ordering of disparate things on a canvas yes. or you know on a on a board for you know whatever um ideas <laughs> yeah 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 it's just it's interesting but aside from all the cosmic stuff it just seems so fun just yeah. like fun I, yeah. I find myself doing this on you know i have so much stuff everywhere you know like i've got just i've got you know a jawbone right here i've got this little Wait, is that human yeah it's fake though like a kid's it's a reproduction oh, right on. um 
I got a bunch, you know, skulls, of course, a little wind-up toy my mom gave me when I was a kid, some Batman figure that I think Ryan Case sent me. It's like, and and when I clean, I can't bear to get rid of all this stuff. And so I like, yeah. I put it in in it just laid out in a certain order on my desk and it's like it's like an altar in a weird way but it doesn't totally. you know with that it's like an altar without some greater intention other than just kind of like organizing it organizing it in a, in a pleasing way and that's you know this is this is assemblage art or you know yeah at the core i think uh so totally. it's like i do it naturally <laughs> i just haven't like intentionally going you know what i'm gonna make a piece of artwork out of this right um, but I want to. What was I thinking? Oh, just how, you know, you, you said that it like the organizing stuff is fun. And then sometimes it's like kind of that's how I sketch in my studio is I'll, I'll lay things out and I'll get night. Like, I don't usually sketch on paper my assemblage work. Mm -hmm. Occasionally I do. But usually I just start moving stuff around and putting uh, stuff together so so if a piece is up gonna be displayed up against the wall you have it like lying flat in your studio yeah, and then you start platforms. arranging it it's yeah. so it's so cool it seems so fun yeah well that's <laughs> the fun part and then you know sometimes i'll, I'll have a piece i'm like okay, i want to i want to do this and i'll take a picture of it and then i'll show tony who's my partner yeah. and um he's like okay cool is that done i'm like no, I haven't even started yet. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's the fun part. But then it's like, okay, this is how I want it to look. Like, how do I make that happen? And then that kind of comes like, becomes the tedious problem solving right. part. Like, God, where do I start? Like, if I do this first, then I can't do this later. And if I do this now, it's going to screw this up when I yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah, it's like the engineering part. It's, and that's like that with, you know, every form form of art. It's like you got to do you got to do the grunt work in order to express the idea. You know, everyone just would want to. Uh, unless you're 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 you like doing that, which I do like doing that. I like yeah. problem solving and figuring out how to do it. And uh, that's fun to me as well. You know, the engineering and just actually doing it physically. But yeah, yeah. Every, everyone would just like to imagine a painting and have it done or, you know, right. imagine a piece and have it done. But that's not all of there is to it. You know, no. that's only like half of it really is the idea. The other half is execu executing the idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and that can be a pain, real pain in the ass. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I mean, sometimes I enjoy that problem solving process and sometimes I get so... Um, Oh, I just get so worked up and I, mm -hmm. I start getting really unhappy. I'm like, yeah. what, I shouldn't be feeling this unhappy like when I'm creating. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's what I, I, I've said often that it feels like a, um, kind of an addiction, kind of art feels to me kind of like an addiction or like you get a fix from it. It's almost like a healthy way of doing drugs in a way. It's like, uh, um, if you're successful, you just get such a rush and such a buzz from it. It feels so good to do, create a successful piece. And then when it's not working out, you just feel so it's angry so and pissed off and just like yeah. totally Everything affects sucks. your mood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's powerful in that way. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, I Sometimes I have, I do, I've been doing um, Bikram yoga for the past 20, 20 years. Really? I didn't yeah. know it's been around that long. Is oh, that, yeah. It's longer than that isn't that is that the the one where they put the heat in the room that they, yes. they turn the heat up and you get all sweat i didn't know i thought that was like a new thing 
No, no. Um, I mean, he's been kind of in the headlines more recently because he's a horrible person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reluctant to call it Bikram Yoga, yeah. even though he's the originator of that series. Um, I practice with my friend now who lives down the street from me. Who um, I play in a band with her as well. We have a Motorhead tribute band together. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> she's someone I've known for... Uh, gosh, over 20 years when I lived in Philadelphia and she was in San Francisco. Um, but she's got a heated room now. So we'll just, you know, I go over there a couple times a week and we just practice together. Wow. That's cool. Uh, but sometimes, I mean, I know that like part of doing yoga is kind of mindfulness and being in the moment, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'll just have this peace in my head, you know, while I'm doing yoga and it's like, I just can't get it out of my head. And by the end of the practice, I'll have come up with a solution, you know, that I couldn't have come up with another way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found, I found that with, um, sometimes with meditation, which, you know, uh, the, I, I learned, I learned this when I started taking these magic classes three years ago or four years ago. I don't remember five years ago. I don't remember, but, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, yoga is, is a term, you know, people say yoga is like basically the kind of yoga you're talking about, which is the physical, physical yoga. But me- yeah, yeah. Yeah. But meditation is a yoga. Yes. It's like, they're all forms of yoga, these different forms of yoga. Um, totally. and I, you know, it was like one of these classes I took was, it was the, the eight limbs of yoga or something. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check that out. And it was all about meditation, mm-hmm. totally about just medita- meditating. Uh, it's interesting. Um, but anyway, I've, I've found that, you know, I'm always the whole point, you know, focusing on my breathing and not moving and not, you know, not scratching an itch or anything. You got to sit perfectly still. It's the kind I practice anyway. And you're focused on your breathing and clear your mind. And um, sometimes a problem, it's so weird. It's because my mind becomes clear, uh, you know, if I allow it. And I, if there's a problem, it's like I, my, it'll come in my mind, and my mind will start clearly like, like solving equations to figure out the problem. Not mathematical equations, but it's running through scenarios. And it's yeah. like, and I found that like my, it makes my brain work so good. Like if I get, like if I have a specific problem, I can do, I can kind of process it through my meditation. And, mm-hmm. I, and it's almost like I'm sitting there, <laughs> waiting for my brain to figure the problem out. <laughs> It's uh-huh. like kind of like a computer going going through all these little simulations. It's a trip, but uh, yeah. And then you got to remember them after, you know, because you don't want to stop. But right, write it down. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's really great for problem solving. I found. Um, yeah, it's you know. funny because you feel like sometimes when you're in the middle of all these problems, you don't have time to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But taking the time just kind of saves you time. Yeah, the- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. And it's 100%. interesting how, you know, a lot of like this style of yoga that I do is very physical mm. and it can get a bad rap in the yoga community, you know, oh, for really? being just, you know, I don't know, more of like a power yoga kind of system. But, but there's, I mean, it's like the more I do it and it's the same postures every time. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I do it, the more I realize how it's all really the same. You know, there are so many, totally. like, I want to start, I should start making this journal with my yoga thoughts. Cause you know, for example, there's one posture. Every time I go into it, you know, I get set up with my feet and then I move into the posture 
And then I adjust my feet again. I'm like, why do I do that? Like, it's just force of habit. Like Mm -hmm. I set up beforehand exactly the way I know that I need to be. And then I just start thinking, well, how, how many other aspects of my life do I do that in where I waste energy because it's this thing that I'm used to doing? Just force of habit. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Just stay the way I am in that posture after I do the setup. Right. You know, what happened then? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's awareness. That's becoming aware of the, you know, the whole thing of meditation and yoga and, and the things like this are, um, about awakening, becoming yeah. conscious, because we're just all on a, um, a c- continuous loop of habitual behaviors. And it's like, right. you know, people, people, a lot of times it's talked about, you know, enlightenment or waking up as this huge, boom, you're all of a sudden enlightened and everything is all good. And it's all, that's all you got to do. But it's really like waking up, I think, on a more practical level is just noticing when you're doing repetitive habitual behaviors, just becoming aware of these. It's so small and simple, right? But powerful, you know, it is So just, yeah. And then there's so many of them. Once you start realizing you're like, shit, I'm like walking around like a, a robot all the time, not thinking about what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. And you know, yeah, (laughs) but uh, not looking up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, okay let's i want to go up uh, uh, um i don't really know anything about you other than your work i've seen you on you know in the dark art society cooperative group and talked to you there and seen you at shows and you seem really cool and positive nice person thank you, but, you too. <laughs> thanks but and you live in joshua tree because i remember thinking you were in la and then you corrected me one time i was like oh yeah it's like i always think of joshua tree i always think of all of southern california as la even though that's really right i mean it's joshua crazy. trees isn't even yeah. is it southern california technically or is it yeah okay yeah it is yeah, but but that's far. <laughs> Joshua Tree's yeah. far. I mean, actually, in Morongo Valley, which is just a little bit before Joshua Tree. How long is that same, from, like, L.A. about? About two hours. Yeah, that's pretty far out there. That's, like, almost yeah. to San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say someone from San Diego is from L.A. But anyway, so the, the, that's kind of the only thing I know about you. So, uh, you know, I want to hear the, the backstory. Where'd you grow up? Your, you know, your, when, when you got into art, your background and schooling all that stuff that's what i'm curious about right now all right well i I was born in washington dc and i grew up in maryland right outside of washington okay and uh i was an only child my parents split when i was five Mm. and they had joint custody of me so i just spent you know a lot of time going back and forth between the two of them Mm. and Let's see. I went to art school in Philadelphia at the University of the Arts, and I studied jewelry and metalsmithing there. Oh, wow. And uh, I actually did a year of community college before that where I was doing graphic design. And I Mm -hmm. took a jewelry class there, and that's kind of what got me interested in in focusing on jewelry, metalsmithing, and that type of work. Um. When you were you interested in were you creative as a kid and interested in art and stuff when you were little? I was. Um, and music, because you know, you're a musician also? Music, music was more of my thing, I think, than art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started playing piano when I was four, 
and wow, I took lessons for about jeez ah, eight years. Wow, I wish like forever when you're a kid. I w- yeah, I wish someone made me take piano for eight years when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm really grateful for that because I learned to play by ear, which really you know forms my ear as yeah. a musician, you know, to this day. Mm-hmm. And I started, I took violin lessons for a couple of years in there somewhere. Wow. But, um, I don't know when I got, I went, you know, 12, when I was like 12, 13, I just, I started developing other interests, uh-huh. <laughs> which not necessarily positive, right. <laughs> um, but I did start to fall in love with rock and roll at that time. And that became a huge part of my life. Like, you know, I was like that typical 70s disco kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then um, I remember my friend, I went over to her house one day and she played this record and I was like, what is this? And it was ACDC, Dirty Deeds. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, remember listening to that album, too, at my friend's house for the first time. Being like, yeah. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was such a turning point in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. That was my big band too, ACDC. It was like that. I mean, I was always, there was always kind of, I had an older brother and older sister in the 70s. So imagine it was like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and Aerosmith. All this stuff was always playing. But but when I came into my own and I was getting my favorite bands, it was ACDC uh-huh. and Devo. <laughs> it was like totally opposite ends of the spectrum, but right, right. Those were my big yeah. first ones. Twelve years old. Black Sabbath. Yep. Aerosmith was a big one for yeah. me. Judas Priest. Aerosmith oh, was my yeah. first album I ever I ever got. It was uh, Aerosmith. Draw the line. That was the first. Uh-huh. I got it, I got it for Christmas. I remember my nice. dog. My dog pissed on the cover, so it had like a yellow <laughs> stain on it because it was a white album cover. <laughs> I think do you I still, still have it? it? I think I do. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. That one tells a story, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Aerosmith was my first concert, the Back in the Saddle tour. I think it was 1983. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but so, yeah, that was Jeff definitely like changed the trajectory of my interests at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, rock and roll, boys. Cars, <laughs> drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I got Arnie. all that out of the way early. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine having a daughter who's <laughs> partying. Oh, man. It's nerve-wracking. I got my I granddaughters, and I'm just like. That time. What's that? I don't envy my parents at yeah. that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I ran away from home, I was. 12 or 13. Oh, my God. And that was the first time I heard that Ozzy song, Flying High Again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, he's singing to me. He totally knows what I'm going through right now. <laughs> this is the best song ever. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm glad I, I made it through that phase alive. Yeah, and can you imagine having a 12-year-old daughter and having her run away? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> It would be so horrible. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, like, I can't even tell you. Awful. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> you made it through. You made it through, though. You know, everyone's got their, everyone's got their path. Yeah. We all got to go through it. Everyone's got their karma. Yes. Yes. Ah. Oh, so yeah. I, and well, okay. I'm just gonna kind of interject something mm-hmm. that I'm doing right now, which is I'm I'm making a book. 
I created an Oracle deck in, oh, um, cool. a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's called deconstructed divination. And I'm, I'm in the process of doing a book right now of haiku poems to go along with, with the deck. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the deck is basically sections of my drawings. I just cropped in on little sections mm-hmm. and I kind of, oh, I, yeah. kind of I, saw, I saw that you posted this. I, yeah, I, I saw. A po- yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's yeah. So cool. Um, so and cool. and so it. in the book, I shared uh, 12, I think I did, I did, there were 16 drawings that I drew from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I put, I printed 12 of the drawings and I just did a little like kind of intro to those. And I talked about how as a kid, I would draw with my mom and we would like, sometimes she'd just like cover our dining room table and newspaper and then just pull out these big sheets of newsprint and put these chalk pastels in the middle of the table mm-hmm. and just put on music and we'd just sit there and draw. And it was just um, random drawings, you know, that didn't have to be anything. They were just whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever came out. And that was kind of how I started drawing. And, yeah, and, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I've done this with my granddaughters. This is exactly when they were young. I mean, they're kind of starting. They're nine, nine and ten now, so they're kind of getting into video editing and TikTok and all this stuff like that. But uh, I spent a lot of time with them where we just put music on and just draw uh-huh. or paint. You know, so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, I remember like even as a kid, like my coloring books when my mom would kind of color with me. I remember mm-hmm. she would like color the grass purple and I was like, wow, you're allowed to do that. She's That's like, so cool. Yeah. Who says you can't? I'm so like, she oh, was artistically, cool. artistically minded for sure. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember she used to talk about like her horrible art class in, in um, junior high school where like the teacher was like, you must have a one inch margin around the paper or else you're going to fail. Right. Yeah. It's like all these rules that she was just rebelling against. I right. think that was the only thing that you were like graded on was right. like your margin perfectly one inch. Basically yeah. how well can you follow orders? Right. <laughs> In an art class. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, so did she, did she do art? I mean, did she make art uh, beyond she, the, being a hobby or? Not beyond the hobby, um, and she hasn't in a while. But she did like. A, have you ever heard of Michelle Cassou? No. She's a painter, and she did a video, like a DVD, called "Birth of a Process." Mm-hmm. And basically, she kind of fell into the same thing where she really, she's French, and as a kid, uh, she really wanted to do art, and she went to you know some of the French art universities that were very, very like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like, uh, very strict and very traditional Mm. in their approach to art. And she just didn't really fit into that. And one day, you know, the, the head of the school took her aside and said, you know, this is not for you. You're never going to make it in art. You might as well find a new career path. Wow. And she was just crushed. Yeah, you know, that's she, terrible. Her, I know. Her dreams were like shattered and she left and she went out and worked in the corporate world for a while and was just very, very unhappy. What a bummer. Yeah. And then she, one day, I, I don't remember exactly how she came across this, uh, but she saw a bunch of kids drawing and she saw their just kind of 
freedom in their abandon in their approach. And she's like, that's what I want to do. I want to draw like a child. Mm -hmm. And she started doing that. And so in this DVD, Birth of a Process, you, you basically see her process. She started doing these drawings, which are kind of awesome. And as her process progressed, uh, not because she was trying to adhere to any rules, but you, her technique improves along the way. And it, she's basically like exercising these demons. And, and it was a very profound experience for her. And one thing she said was that after she had gone through this process, her vision improved. Like she didn't need to wear glasses anymore, which she had been wearing for decades. Oh, weird. I know. It's kind of <laughs> fascinating. And um, so now she teaches classes in basically that process. So my mom took some of those classes. Uh, and she's she made some awesome paintings. But, you know, one of the things about this this process in particular is not using materials that are precious because that can be intimidating sometimes. Mm. Um, but now, you know, that I see what my mom has done in that, I, I always encourage her, like, why don't you maybe instead of painting on paper, like, just get some canvases or something that's, right. you know, because these are awesome. I want to hang on to these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't want to do that. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, obviously push somebody to do something that they're not comfortable with, even though I would I would love to see them kind of taken to the next level. Right. Yeah. But I, I bet you in a way um, she's a, she's able to experience the career that she missed out on through you in a way. You know, I kind of feel that way about my son who's a drummer and a professional musician. It's like I never made it in my band. And so uh -huh. it's like I kind of seeing him succeed in music is, is like kind of satisfies that part, you right. know, in me a little bit, like seeing him him do that. So I'm sure it's like a big, cool thing for her to see you, you know, doing it, you know. And yeah. Uh, yeah. that's such a bummer about that school. They, they should have told her that this this style isn't right for you. You need to try. Right. You need to be going to a school that teaches like. I don't know, abstract expressionism or whatever her thing was. Not yeah. you'd never be an artist. Go away. I mean, that's I bullshit. That's a terrible thing to say to someone. Thing. Sorry, that's my alarm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, where were we? Um, uh, but when I was, uh, we were talking about my mom, and the thing that's frustrating sometimes is that she, um, which is appreciated, you know. Basically, she's just says a lot of times how I'm I'm such a better artist than she is. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, the only thing that I do is I do it consistently. Right. And I, um, you know, I, I try to use archival materials. You right. know, that's the only difference. Right. I'm not a better artist. You know, it's, yeah, it's, pr it's discipline. Yeah, yeah. Discipline and practice and doing it over yeah. and over and over and over. It's like that's that's most of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's putting the hours in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago, I do, I, I think you've seen this, I, I'm a co-curator at a gallery in Joshua Tree. Yeah. It's called La Matadora. Yep. And the first show that I ever did was called Occulted Religion. And uh, I asked my mom if she wanted to put one of her paintings in the show. And she ended up sending me this this eight by 10 envelope full of just black and white um, pen and ink drawings that she did in 1980. 
wow. that I had never seen. And um, I think he might have seen one. I, I posted one in the Dark Art Society group along with one of my drawings. Oh, and there's, yeah. Like, such yeah. a parallel. Yeah, and I had never seen that's right. Before. That's right. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Spooky. I know. So <laughs> I ended up like, she just sent those to me because she was looking through her art stuff and, you know, didn't think I would be interested in, you know, those old things. Uh-huh. I'm like, these are great. Like, I'm just going to frame five of these and put them in the show. And, uh, and I did. And uh-huh, cool. I love them. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I wanted to all, I mean, since you brought it up, I was, I did want to hit upon the, um, the art gallery as well. The, uh, this is a gallery in Joshua tree. Yes. Yeah. So I, what's it like in Joshua tree as like a community? Because I, I, all I know about Joshua tree is that everybody I know goes out there to trip on mushrooms <laughs> to do like a weekend trip, a camping trip and trip on mushrooms. I don't know. Like, that's the thing you always hear. Oh, it's the best place to trip. But uh-huh. I, I never think of it as like, what's the community like? You know, is it a, like a small town? I mean, how many people live there and stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm really bad with numbers as mm. far as towns go. Yeah, me it too. is a small community. Uh, I've been here for about five years now. Uh, I moved from Oakland. So it's it's quite a big change. Yeah. I did live in Tucson, which is where my love of the desert right. kind of began, and uh, I missed it ever since ever since I left Tucson. I just kind of longed for the desert. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have a friend who lives out here named Kate McCabe, mm-hmm. who's a, a filmmaker, photographer, painter, and I went to art school with her in Philadelphia and. Um, we didn't really know each other back then. I was a couple years ahead of her. We, we were like aware of one another, but we weren't really friends. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing her at shows in Los Angeles and, uh, you know, became Facebook friends. Oh, and what a trip. I know. And then I started, you know, I came out here and started visiting her and, you know, I just didn't think that buying a house in California was you know, realistic. And mm-hmm. then I looked at the prices at that time and I'm like, Oh shit, you know, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I bought at a time when it was really good to buy. It's right now, like everywhere else, the, the housing market is absolutely insane. Right. In the past five years, I think the value of our home has more than tripled. And yeah, same with ours. <laughs> Same with ours. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. It's just crazy right now. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So, yeah, the Joshua Tree, you know, Morongo Basin, which is kind of the, it encompasses like basically Morongo Valley, Yucca Valley, 29 Palms, Wonder mm. Valley. Okay. Landers, Pioneer Town. It's all kind of part of the same community. Pioneer um, Town. That's a place that the guy, the camper, the guy camper van you know the band camper van beethoven you ever heard of them yeah they yeah. i love that band they they do a like a thing every year at pioneer Town. oh yeah happy and harriet's for the the camp out thing. yeah 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 with yeah. that band cracker and yes. camper van beethoven because the, the lead singer is like the lead guy in both bands i saw them at the the smoke in at uh fourth of july you oh, know really? in Washington. Let's see in 1986 and i wow. think that was the last time that i smoked pot ever <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to do it seeing camper van Beethoven yeah. because they're pretty psychedelic yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're awesome awesome band um so so uh 
but but it's it's a big enough community to to sustain a gallery, I guess. Yeah, right? I mean it's a small gallery, and yeah, but still, know, there, there are a handful of galleries around here. Really? Uh, yeah. So it's probably yeah. bigger. It's bigger bigger than I'm thinking, I guess. Probably. If you, can, if you can sustain an art gallery in your town, it's not that small. Yeah. It's, you know, it's hard to sustain a gallery in any town, let it alone is. a small it's town. It's definitely hard. Yeah. Um, my friend Kalina, Kalina Hake, is the owner of the gallery. Mm-hmm. And I met her in Tucson. She used to live in Tucson. And I didn't know her that well. Again, you know, we were kind of acquaintances. I used to bartend at a place in Tucson, and she would come in and drink. And uh, That's and another weird de- thing, right? It, yeah. That you both end up in the same town, I right? Know, I know. It's we, a trip. So much, like connections have been made here that, you know, kind of we've had connections in the past. What a trip. But yeah, she's deaf. And I, I didn't even know that she was deaf when I knew her in Tucson. What does she read? <laughs> lips? She reads lips exceptionally amazing. well. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. I know. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely very skilled and, and adaptive. Is she totally deaf? Um. Not a hundred percent. Like she's got a little bit of, of hearing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always curious. I'm like, I wonder what it sounds like. All to right. Her. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Curious. What things sound like. What a trip. You never know what it's like to live in someone else's body. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, she started the gallery. You know, we had talked about starting a gallery and you know, me being a Virgo, double Virgo at that, you know, <laughs> I like overthink think how would we do that? How's that going to work? I don't know, you know. And then like next thing I know, I see a Facebook post. She's like, "All right, I just you know signed a lease on this gallery." I'm like, "Oh my god, you did it!" <laughs> <laughs> so you know, she kind of did it herself. And actually, Kate McCabe, the friend that I was just talking about, who who lived out here um, before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I had a show together, which was about four years ago now. It was the second or third show of the gallery. And it just kind of grew from there. And then, you know, after maybe, geez, sometimes I lose track of time. But, you know, maybe after a year or so, Kalina asked me if I wanted to start um, curating some of the shows. So for the past, geez, three years or so, Mm-hmm. I've been kind of doing every third show. So we do uh, one show a month at the gallery. Mm-hmm. So basically I'll do one, you know, one month on, two months off, like four shows a year. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, That's still yeah. a lot of work, though. Oh, it is a lot of work. Curating is so hard work. It's such it's hard so work. Fun. And I do a lot of group shows. And every time I do a group show, I'm like, why the hell did I, I do this? <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, it's so I mean, I hard. Love- being able to give like this platform for so many people, but it's like, um, you know, my email's getting all clogged up and then, you know, didn't it, I, doesn't it like make you, I know for me, when I started curating, it started making me be less demanding with galleries I worked at. Yeah. It made me be like more understanding, you know, yes. where instead of going like, can you put my painting in a way that's like da 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 in this 50, 60 person group show can you make right. sure my painting is positioned this way in the room because it's like when you've got 50 people all emailing you about that it's just like i feel for them so it's yeah. like i really i definitely like backed off of being yeah. doing naming demands on, on a gallery yeah. at any group show after and I, that. you know i do feel very lucky in that you know 
I would say almost all of the artists that I have ever worked with have none of them have been assholes, oh, you know, or very demanding. It's just <laughs> little things like because a lot of the artists are my friends, you know, I, I ask everybody, please follow these submission guidelines. Right. You know, I know you and sometimes I'm like, you're in the show, but still do what I ask. Because <laughs> I need to have everything in one place. You yes. know, I can't have like what did they text me? Did they send me right. a message on Instagram? Like, no, I put yep. it all in the <laughs> box. There's there are things you don't think about until you curate a show. How hard it is to get <laughs> you got texts, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, email. Oh. It's like it, it <laughs> is so overwhelming. It's such a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, and all hot. of that stuff can be fixed by just following this following the directions that are set out at the beginning. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. So I can so understand. It's, it is a lot of work. And every time I do it, I'm just like, I don't think I can do this. And then I do it. I'm like, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's very rewarding, too. After you it put is. it together. It's and, like... and, you know, it's a financial risk because I'm, you know, basically when I on my month, I'm paying the rent. I'm paying all the overhead for the gallery. Right. And, um, you know, and, and that's why we take the percentage that we do, because, I mean, if I, you know, I'm very lucky too because in all the time that I'm doing, I've been doing this. There's only been one show that I lost money on. Oh wow, that's a yeah. good, good record. Um, you know, depending on how you look at it, you know, that's just saying that I covered my expenses, right? Um, not including, you know, it's not giving myself a salary for right, right. all the work that I do, which includes gallery sitting and you know, hanging the show. Cause it's basically a one woman show when we do it. Like I, I'm doing everything. I'm doing the email list mm -hmm. I'm doing the website. I'm doing the tags. I'm doing the promo. Wow. Um, Colina does the Instagram. So, you know, that's kind of, that's very cool that she'll do that even when it's my show. Right. Everything else, you know, like I'm, I'm doing it all. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, but, you know, and then the other thing that I really enjoy, like I'm realizing now, like I like hanging shows, like I've kind of gotten it down to a science mm -hmm. where um, I'm one of those weird artists and, and it helps in my assemblage work too, where I, I like numbers. I like math. I like figure out oh, like, interesting. equations. And <laughs> I like math. I just am no good at it. <laughs> I like, and it, it makes me like it more because I don't have, I'm not talented in that way or I don't know enough about it to really get into it but but i yeah. you know i am interested in it it's one of those things when i was a kid i wasn't it's funny yeah. that you mentioned that though because erica at copro is very single-minded when it comes to hanging a show she doesn't want anyone to help her yeah she's like i know how this should look and then it always looks amazing you know it's yeah. just like leave erica alone and she'll just hang the show brilliant brilliantly yeah you know what i mean so it sounds like you're the same way I, I, yeah, I, you know, at first I wasn't because I wasn't as confident about it. But that's but, like um, assemblage work in a way, hanging it a is. show. It's You're like arranging things. Yeah, it's exactly what you do. <laughs> it's like yeah. you, maybe you just had I to remember, realize that. Um, Billy Shire, you know, from La Luz de Jesus, mm -hmm. um, he has a place out here. So he's out in the desert. He and oh, his really? girlfriend, Shirley. Um, oh, wow. I didn't spent know. Spent a lot of time out here. And. Colina and I were hanging a show for, you know, uh, Daniel Martin Diaz. Yeah. Yeah. So we had some of his work. Oh, and he's great. He's awesome. Actually, he's going to be showing uh, next month in, in, wait, where are we? This is August. This month. So next, this coming weekend. Oh, cool. Uh, he's going to be having an opening at the gallery. Wow. 
so Billy came and helped us hang his work. And he's like, he just basically was like, okay, I had an arrangement like of how I thought his work should go. And then Billy's like, okay, boom. He measures everything. and like, this is how you do it. Divide it by this. You know, he basically gave me his formula. I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And now that I have like this formula, I, I love doing it. Oh, it's really? like, <laughs> like, yeah. And the same thing, like people come and like, do you need some help? I'm like, no, just go away. Go away. Right. <laughs> I have the formula. Unless Leave it's me alone. something really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So he, does he go to your shows, Billy? Yeah, yeah. He just had back surgery recently. Oh, um, and, you know, with the pandemic, everything's been kind of yeah out of whack. But, um, yeah, yeah, he and Shirley, um, I see them quite often. That's cool. It's nice, yeah. Wow. What a trip. What a trip. Yeah. So I, uh, let's see. September is the next show that I'm doing. And I, I just found out I was going to have Paul Kudineris. You know Paul Kudineris? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was going to show some of his roadkill memorial altar photos. Yeah. But I just found out he's moving unexpectedly to New Orleans. So that put a monkey wrench and everything. Oh, so bummer. I'm really bummed he's not going to be. Why is he moving? He's I a fixture. Know. I know. He's a, he's well, a you fixture know he in L.A. Joshua. Did you know he moved to Joshua Tree? No. He moved to Joshua Tree, and then he moved to um, Las Vegas or somewhere around Las Vegas just wow. recently. Wow. And now he's moving to New Orleans. He <laughs> <laughs> moves a lot. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I didn't even like get a chance to go on his like any of his mining, you know, hikes with him while right. he lived out there, which I really wanted to do. Yeah, um, I never got to know him, but he was all, it's like... He's always around at the shows. I don't even think I ever really talked to him, but it's like, you know, he looks, he's got a very distinctive look. Totally. I, always, I always see <clears throat> just, he just is around. He's active. Yeah. He's like posting things and his stuff comes up and he's got books and it's like, I always kind of wanted to meet him and, and cause he seems like a really cool, cool guy. Yeah, He's really great. Really quirky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw him do, uh, this was before I really knew him. Well, he did a show at Love to Death in San Francisco mm-hmm. when I was living in the Bay Area. And um, I think I met him there. And then he did a talk. There used to be a place in Berkeley called The Bone Room. Mm. It sold bones uh, yeah. <laughs> and other things. <laughs> and uh, they had a little gallery there and they would host events. And he did a talk called Sex Ghosts of the Catacombs. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> I gotta go check this out. <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then he's done some some talks out here. He did one at the Beatnik Lounge in Joshua Tree about uh, cats, you know, and just like it kind of infamous, I think, ghosts of cats and things like that throughout history. It's that, you it, know, it sounds like you've got kind of a cool little community out there. Yeah, yeah, it's you've a got very stuff going on. You got more more going on than in my town. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's a very cool place uh you know i'm i'm very i'm grateful that the gallery has you know been able to sustain itself even through the pandemic and yeah, that's amazing i think the thing that we have that most galleries in the area don't have um aside from you know maybe one or two is that we've really kind of um, taken advantage of an online presence and ah. You know, we have our website. Um, this is the answer been... for galleries. It really is. It's I the mean, answer. I keep. I've been saying this for so long. It's like you need to 
you know, galleries need to move into the 21st century and, and really, you know, yeah. have, have an online presence in a big way, even to the point it, it of doing virtual, a... virtual I mean, shows say... if you need to and whatever, you know? Yeah. Most of the sales that I've made over the past year um, in the shows that I've done at the galleries have been at least somewhat rooted in something online, whether mm -hmm. it's from the website, whether it's from, you know, watching or, you know, virtual opening, a virtual gallery tour that I've done, yeah. um, something that I posted on Facebook, something that Colleen posted on Instagram. Um, you know, there, there's been if more than one person that has come into the gallery and was like, oh, I, you know, I just saw this, this picture on Instagram. I wanted to come into the gallery and check it out in person. And then they buy it. Yeah. And, the new uh, normal. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, I can't imagine not having an online presence. And, uh, no. you know, it's just a little both because you don't get the same effect just seeing like, yeah, right. Square, you know? Yeah. But I think, I think, I think only in terms of sales. Yeah. That you need to have an online presence. Yeah. You know, it's like, as far as making sales, you have to do that. You do. But, 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 but have, you know, there, a gallery has to be a physical place. If you if you're a serious art collector, if you're really into it, or if in a serious art fan, you have to go and see it in person. It's just not. It's just there's no other way to experience it, really. Right. Not to fully experience it. Totally. You know, it's like gr online experiencing art is great because you're able to access tons of it. Yeah. Conveniently, but you give something up when you don't see it yeah. in person. It's like a trade off. And, you know, no matter how many times you post a picture of your art or whoever's art with the dimensions, people will look at it when they come to see it in person. Like, wow. That's so much bigger than I yeah, thought. I thought it was the size of my phone screen. <laughs> right. Like you don't, you, even if you read the dimensions, it's like right. people just create this idea in their mind of what the piece looks like. It's good. It's good to, yeah. I a hundred percent agree. That's good to, uh, have something for size reference, I think too. Yeah. You know, just be standing yeah. next to it. I used to see artists standing next to their paintings and I was like, what a douchebag. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, they're doing it for size reference. That makes, totally. that makes sense. I'm the douchebag for judging him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, it makes, I, I just, because I just did that on my Patreon. I was like, these paintings are really big for me. They're like 24 by 36. And uh -huh. I know people are going to think they're probably like what I normally do, which is 11 by 14 or 16 by 20. So it's like I yeah. posed with it just to get a sense that it changes everything. It really does. It makes you know? a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't tell without any, you know, on a phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, though. Like I have a <laughs> like a piece that I sold recently where, you know, there's a picture of me with the piece and then a picture of the guy who bought the piece. I'm like. <laughs> the piece looks so much smaller with him. <laughs> and that, you know, I think about that with guitars too, you know, like when right. I play a Les Paul, people are like, is that a hollow body? <laughs> no, it's a Les Paul. And then like, you know, um, there's a picture of like a friend of ours, who, like play, he's a really big dude playing a Fender precision bass. And Tony's like, I think that's a short scale. <laughs> he's just a really big dude. <laughs> he actually asked him, he's like, is that a short scale bass? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a long scale person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so 
yeah, since we are talking about music, talk about your your band because I know that's something you you put a lot of energy into, and it yeah. seems like a another super fun thing. Sounds like you your life is pretty fun. Yeah. You, got, you do a lot of fun stuff. I mean, yeah, artist, it's, it's, musician, um, curator, living in this cool little funky desert town. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty amazing life to me. It's fulfilling. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that because I was thinking about like a lot of the questions that you ask other people in the podcast mm-hmm. about were you the art kid and stuff right. like that. And I was thinking about when I was a kid, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily say I was the art kid, but I did. I liked being kind of, I was a creative person mm-hmm. and I was always obsessing about like just imagery and, and I like to make things. I, I would make like, um, you know, in elementary school. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember if this, I mean, this is obviously more of a girl thing, but those barrettes <laughs> that were like kind of like woven with ribbons, you know, that they would put in their hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of had like fifth grade. I had my own little business making those barrettes with the beads and the ribbons. That's, and I would to- that's totally, I mean, it's funny. That's so, it's, that's jewelry. It's assemblage. It's like, it's so yeah. funny because it's what you're doing now. So, totally. really, you know, an extension of that. And that's, that, that just to me proves that it's the right thing for you to be doing. You know, you're doing, if you're yeah. doing it when you're a kid, that's, yeah. that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's because I was doing it when I was a kid. Cause that's, you know, when you're a kid, you, yeah. you know you what you like, you know? know. And I had this, I remember thinking when I was a kid, like, this is what I want to do. I want to basically like have my fingers and all these little pies and mm-hmm. just kind of like do things and just kind of make them work. And I'm like, that's I, what I'm doing now. And I, sometimes I feel like I'm barely hanging on by a thread. Like I'm doing all these things. Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, but I also recently had, um, well, I've been studying with this woman, Camelia Elias, uh-huh. who's, a, um, I started with doing an online tarot class with her. She's mm-hmm. from Denmark and she's just, uh, I was really drawn to her because, you know, there's a lot of kind of, uh, flighty new agey you know airy fairy love and light type you know definitely um, in that world Mm -hmm. and she's very just no nonsense no bullshit you know she has a phd super educated wow and um you know i i really liked her approach and it's very zen and i remember she was talking one day in in um I don't remember if it was one of her courses or just a post she made, but about this notion of free will and how it's bullshit. Right. Yeah. Like I couldn't grasp that at first. It's uh, go ahead. I I, I have have to add something to it when you you get a, (laughs) when I get a, when you get a break. (laughs) Well, it was like, I, I, um, she's basically saying you really, there are things you can change about yourself, but you can't change who you are at the core. Mm. And my dad passed away recently in January. And, oh, um, sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was that was kind of that was that was heavy. Yeah. But before that, uh, he he and his wife were moving to to Florida, which was a big move because they basically lived in the D.C. area, uh, you know, since before I was born. Mm. 
So he started just clearing things out and downsizing and he would send me just random packages of completely like disorganized photos and random old school things. Mm -hmm. And I found this nursery school progress report from like 1975 and this amazing teacher took the time to write this whole like, you know, one page observation about me. And I read it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly who I still am <laughs> Like She said something like, you know, Wendy's, you know, come a long way. And, you know, what we thought was shyness at first may, may uh, not be so much as fear, but just her lack of interest in the busyness and noisiness of those around her. And she no problem sitting by herself, you know, drawing or whatever. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> telling people to bug off in their own quiet way <laughs> right that's hilarious i got one of those too from my mom gave it to me from i think it was preschool i was like in some kind you know this was the early 70s yeah where there was like all these experimental programs to you know get kids to be more creative and this and that and um so she had, there was a period where she was like taking notes on everything I was doing. Like uh -huh. parents, at least my mom, she was all like that at that, you know, that was like, a, I think that was like an early seventies thing where you were just like totally observing your kid uh -huh. and, and really seeing what they were doing and trying to facilitate them, whatever. But uh, there was, she, she get, found this page where it was the same thing. It was like an evaluation of me from like three years, four years old or something. And it was the same thing. And so I put it in like the last page of my book, Black Magic, <laughs> the art nice. book. It's like the very last That's page. Awesome. It's so, it's so cool to, to read. But, but I mean that to me, that just says you're on the right path. Totally. You're, 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 you're living your purpose. And, and that's the best any of us can hope for. Yeah. Is to live your purpose. But that, that, reading that kind of like, it kind of clicked. Like, I understand what she means now about the free will right, thing. Right, right. Like, I can, you know, make different decisions about my life and my behavior, but I can't change who I am at the core. Yeah, you're never and, not going to be you. Yeah. You know? So now what were you going to say about that? Oh, you I was going to say, I just saw uh, uh, an interview with some neuroscientist woman who had just written a book about crazy neuroscience stuff and she was saying how she was referring to these studies she was basically saying how everything that she learned about neuroscience the new it's kind of probably a controversial book but like the new the newest neuroscience that's coming out everything that it's pointing to goes totally against her scientific rational thinking and one of the things was there was some te uh, test they did where they were checking, <clears throat> like, monitoring brain activity. Like, when a, like you know, they're monit monitoring brain activity, and the brain was lighting up to indicate what the choice the person was going to make before they made it. Mm. Like, milliseconds before. Wow. It's like, you would never notice it normally, because, but it's, like, milliseconds. So she was basically saying... You know, there really isn't even I mean, you're talking more on like a metaphysical level. You can't be any, you know, you you, you can't not be who you are. But she yeah. was saying even on this, your choices, everything, it's like it's you're just, you know, they're able to 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 find that 
it's almost like you're being told what to do and you're just doing it and that's nothing is free choice and it's like that is so crazy but but i mean i've I've heard about time being described as a thing that's already happened and we're like passing through it yeah you know so that kind of makes sense in a way like but it takes it's so hard to accept that so hard to wrap your head around that yeah yeah that everything is predetermined it seems so fatalistic and i know but, but at the same time it almost gives you like it's like maybe i can relax a little bit now right. not be so cons- surrender to it yeah, surrender it, to it and just yeah. enjoy it and yeah. just, you know and well, go that's with one it one of the things that she says too you know even about reading cards like the answer is already in the question you right. know <laughs> and um you know and that just reminded me too i worked for a lot of years as as a bartender and a, a server my last job was at a, a restaurant in oakland mm-hmm. where i worked for geez like 8 or 9 years wow and I was a server and there were times where I would ask, you know, I would take somebody's order and there would be a pause and right before they said what they were going to say, I would hear them say it. I would know exactly what they're going to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and it wasn't, you know, there's sometimes where there's, you know, a certain profiling that you do because you kind of know certain types of people are going to order certain things. And this was not that it was Mm -hmm. like, I heard it. It was just like, they were communicating it to me before their mouths opened. And it was fascinating. (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) And every time I heard that, it was right. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't hear it every time, but every time I heard it, it was right. Yeah. Yeah. I do that a lot. Like I, uh, uh, I was, (laughs) it's embarrassing to admit, but I like these shows like project runway. (laughs) (laughs) I love that show for some reason. It's, uh, uh, it's the it's the other one now called Making the Cut, which is like it's like a fashion where they have to uh-huh. design. I just think it's I find it so interesting to see clothes being developed and fat. You know, I was never into it until I started watching these shows, and, and now it's like I, I get it's it's an art form. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting in that way. So, but it's like it's totally. super cheesy and embarrassing to admit, but I like it. <laughs> Anyway, but knows. <laughs> I've said it before in the past. I got, I got no shame. But uh, everybody has these guilty pleasures. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I, I was thinking the other day. I was like, because it got to the winner, the, the final thing, and I was thinking who, who was gonna win? And it's like I had a thought pop in my head who the winner would be, and I was uh-huh. like, okay, that was either just some part of my brain think you know wondering or you know like i kind of have ocd also so it's like i i can i get weird thoughts popping in my head sometimes and um but i'm always going like okay is that like a psychic thing or is that just my brain doing its thing yeah and it wasn't the right answer the person Uh and it's like so i'm always whenever i have a thought pop in my head i'm always trying to know how to spot the difference because I've had that also where it's like it pops in your head and then it happens or, you know, or, right. or you, you know, something's going to happen. And it just happens or someone's yeah. going to say something and you hear it right before. And for me, it's hard to judge since my mind is so active. It's hard to know which is which. Yeah. You know what I mean, but it ha- I, I totally am with you on it though. You know, you've listened to the podcast enough. I'm into all this stuff. Yeah. You know, well, Tony and I just did this thing a couple of weeks ago um, a couple who are friends of ours said that they started doing it and where one of them will think of a color and the other one tries to, 
I, I don't want to say guess, but right. see Intuit. what color it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, let's try it. So he started visualizing a color. And I did, I had something pop into my head, but I was aware that this was more of a thought. And I said it and I was wrong. So you can tell. Yeah. But so it was can... kind of like, it was like, this is my, the first thing that comes into my mouth. But, but then I was like, all right, let me try again. And I just, I just tried to clear away those thoughts and see what he was seeing, and then I got it right. Wow. So, so <laughs> see, I think that um, you're probably more naturally talent, talented because I really think there's like this element of talent when it comes to psychic, psychic ability, whatever you want to call it, clairvoyance or whatever, because my wife is super talented at it, and I'm not. I've never been like really – talented at that it's just like i don't it's like it happens sometimes but not like with her and on the other hand i'm very like i go out of body like and fly yeah. around like every week practically that's amazing so i mean like everybody this... has a different way of doing it and you do i mean look at your work like you're channeling something yeah there. that's true it's true it's something it's like, is communicating with that's you. true and a lot of them have been predictive i have to say like yeah you know like it's weird sometimes like the mask thing i've been painting gas masks for and you know uh dystopian landscapes and gas masks and if that wasn't 2020 i don't know what is but totally. you know i did that nazi face painting i don't know if it's one i hardly ever show because people got all bent out of shape but oh yeah i was, don't think i've seen that yeah no, I, I it's it didn't turn out as good as i wanted to either i had to rush mm -hmm. it it wasn't a show but um it was weird because it was like it was a it was a image i had in a trip when I was mm -hmm. tripping one time and it was just, I just, boom, I saw it in my head and it said Nazi face. That was the title, one word. And it was, wow. it was like this white national, like a, you know, flat top buzz cut military looking kind of with no face except a swastika carved in the face oh, and wow. like kind of festering and bloody and really just horrible and it was just uh -huh. so i was like i gotta paint that because it's but this was before all this white nationalist stuff started happening all this crazy nazi stuff started going on or this was like to the forefront of the news it had been right, happening right yeah true it's always <laughs> it's always been there but i mean before yeah. it was something that was in my consciousness a lot right you know right. and so it was like i remember painting that going why did i paint that that was like so out of left field it wasn't yeah totally out of left field and then all that stuff started happening and the whole nazi thing got in the public consciousness and i was like oh that's why i painted it because it wow. was like five years before Fascinating. you know and and art yeah. i just think art is like that you know you can, yeah it's 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 our kind of our way of um you know clair, clairvoyance or or seeing into the future in, in some 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 ways you know yeah Maybe. it's like this collective consciousness that you're kind of tapping into yeah yeah. You don't know like where it's coming from sometimes. Just like the idea that like time has already passed. It's like all these things already exist somewhere. Yeah, somehow. yeah. You're just trying to pull them out. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. You know, one thing I also want to say, you, you mentioned um, talking about you know uh, being the, whether you're the art kid or not, but you're creative. That's why I, you know, the more I think about this, I think creator is a better term than artists kind of i think yeah. there's more i think we all have more in common as creators than as artists yeah because it's really about being creative and thinking creatively and wanting to make things and there's a lot I, there's a lot of that that's not in fine art 
There's a right. lot of craft and there's, but it's like, it's all, you know, that's more of, I think creator is more of an all encompassing term that, that yeah. all kind of like connects us I all. I like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, a lot of people tend to think artists are painters or, or, you know, I'm an artist. Oh, can you draw me? Like, no, right, that's, right. that's not what I do. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, I've always been, I've always wanted to create, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean I've always wanted to draw, right. but it's like, I was always writing, you know, I wrote right. uh, lyrics when I was a teenager. Right. I, I, I'm kind of glad that I saved some of them or the kind of cringeworthy now too, but <laughs> I mean, like just like oh, almost yeah. like black metal lyrics. Yeah. And, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't even into like black metal, but reading them, I'm like, Oh my God, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> like the, the tormentor has come to take you alive. Just be his slave and you'll survive. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. You got to put that into, put that to music now. I know. <laughs> oh, um, you know, and even like, like, you know, one thing that I did, I used to do, uh, make jackets for people. Like I wouldn't make the jackets, but I would just, you know, put studs and rhinestones mm -hmm. and paint and stuff on jackets and, right. you know, whatever, you know, it was never like one thing. But and it's all, but it's, but it's all kind of what your variations of what you're doing now. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. you're, you're putting it in a fine art setting. Right. You know? And that was like, geez. Well, I, I guess, you know, can I talk a little bit about my, my path? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I wanted to, to hit upon that for sure. Um, I know. There's so much so much to talk about. I know. I'm <laughs> telling you, these, it's already in an hour, ten minutes. These things go by fast. Jeez. Yeah, it but seems no, like Rush, we just we, started. We, we, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> told you. I told you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> told you. I was be I easy. nervous about <laughs> Let's hear about it. Let's hear about your um, path. Well, okay, so there was the art school thing, you know, and after going to Montgomery College, the community college for a year with taking graphic design and jewelry, I went to New University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And, you know, my stuff was always big, you know, for jewelry. And, you know, I would mm. do kind of like body pieces and like elaborate neck pieces and... I, uh, after I got out of school, I started doing shows and, you know, I started playing in bands too around that time. So it always felt like this pull, you know, like which direction do I go? Which, which path do I follow? Right, you yeah. know? As if I had to make a decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had this show of, of, you know, my fine jewelry work at a gallery outside of Philadelphia and the night before the show, the gallery was broken into and all of my work was stolen. Oh, my God. I know. It's I terrible. was like, holy shit. And it was a really good lesson. The work was insured, which was fortunate. Yeah. Um, but it really, you know, that was probably the best way to learn that lesson, to always check, um, which is not always a deal breaker, but it's just, it's good to know what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah. Just as a side note, you know, as you right. know, this gallery, it's, I'm learning that, insurance for galleries is tricky because technically the work does not belong to the gallery owner. It belongs right. to the artist. So it's, uh, we're trying to figure out a way to get around that and have the work insured, but it's not as, as simple as it seems. Right, right. Uh, but somehow this work was insured. Basically, you know, the guy called me the next day. He's like, guess what? 
all your work sold. Yeah, yeah. You had a first, your <laughs> first sellout right. show. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of bummed, though, because there was one piece that was a really big piece, and I'm like, I should have priced it higher. You know, I was like, yeah. Well, anyway. Right. <laughs> But, that would, that yeah. would be a good racket to to have a gallery show and then steal your own work and then, <laughs> then get paid for it, still own it. Don't give our <laughs> listeners any ideas <laughs> for the criminally minded out there. <laughs> I'm sure there are much better ways of, of making yeah. that money. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Because uh, okay, then I'm like, well, what are you? What does this person think they're going to do with the work? You know. Right. I mean, there is some gold and silver in it, but I mean, you'd be better off going to K Jewelers or whatever, right. you know, stealing some diamonds. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, wow. anyway, I got this insurance money, and there was this guitar that I had been I had my eye on for a while. So I took the insurance money and I bought the guitar, and that almost felt symbolic for me in a way. Like, okay, this is like a sign that it's time to move into the you know spending more more of my focus on music. Mm-hmm. And I was in a band at the time called the 440s. Mm-hmm. So we started touring and, you know, we, we, we toured the country a few times, put out some records on wow. um, Dionysus Records. Was, you know, and that's another one of those connections, those Joshua Tree connections now. Lee Joseph, who was one of the, the owners of the record label, lives out here now. And oh, I wow. See what a trip. Offered. I know. He gave <laughs> us some of our old records. <laughs> wow. Um. And then Steel Cage Records put out our, our second full length. Um, and I moved to Tucson in 2001. I got married. Uh, the drummer of the 440s was my husband at the time. What kind of music was it? Uh, I was like rock and roll, like kind of punk rock and roll. Um, Motorhead. Hot rod rock, some people call it. Okay. <laughs> you know? Motorhead-ish a little? Yeah, there's definitely some Motorhead influence, which is awesome because I'm in a Motorhead tribute band. (laughs) Fast Eddie was definitely a big influence on my guitar playing, like even from the very beginning. Cool. So, uh, yeah, but it was always, you know, the whole time I was like, I wasn't doing art or doing very little like visual Mm -hmm. art. Um, But I started this this piece because I decided I wanted to work bigger. I wanted to get out of like just doing this tiny jewelry work because it's so tedious, you know. And Mm, I was like, oh yeah, good God, it's tedious. (laughs) Yeah. And I did a costume for a woman in Philadelphia named Catherine Livingston, who was part of a performance group called Scrap, and she she wanted a, a. and it's like chainmail, kind of armor, leather outfit for a, a dance performance that she did. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was awesome. And I got paid for it. Yeah, that's always nice. <laughs> like, this is great. Um, so I had these these stencil pieces that I made that were part of like the headpiece and breast pieces. And I, I started playing with them. And... I cut them out of sheet aluminum again, and I'm like, I want to make just an art piece out of these. I'm like, they look like a heart. So I started messing with it. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, I just, I never finished it. And I moved to Tucson, and, you know, I still had this thing on my mind. And my old guitar player was a luthier. His name's Gordon Groves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the guitar player we got when we moved to Tucson. And so he helped me, like, 
cutting the wood and clamping it and, you know, gluing it together. So it was this thing that, you know, was just years in the making just because I was only working on it here and there. Mm -hmm. But I never lost this vision. I never lost my inspiration for wanting to make this piece. Mm -hmm. And um, so eventually the 440s was over. My cat is freaking out right now. <laughs> <laughs> he he likes to sit next to me when I when I do like um, online chats with people. Yeah, so I yeah. Got, my dog is down here on the floor sleeping too. <laughs> I had all three of them in here. Now it's just two, but yeah, it likes to sit in the chair next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Oh, so okay. So the four forties broke up. I did have a couple other bands in Tucson. One was called Whiskey Bitch, and then mm. another was called the Sophistafux. <laughs> <laughs> And cool. um, that was with my friend Lenny Mental, who was, I don't know if you know Lenny, he's like this fucking yeah. crazy looking guy with tattooed face and safety pins and wow. he cuts himself and he's like the nicest guy ever. He was my roommate for a while in Tucson. <laughs> and, um, but like, you know, that band, it was the perfect band at the time because it was like, I, it was right before I moved to L.A., uh-huh. And every show that we played, we, we were not invited back again. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm like, we kind of ran out of places to play. And then I moved and we made our mark. And yeah, and now we we live in a small piece of history there in Tucson. That's cool. <laughs> I think the meat so puppets, anyway, I moved to L.A. I joined another from... band there called Cockpit. Co- um, okay. And... <laughs> But this this art piece, you know, this is like part of the story of like all these bands, you know, because I had this thing in my head where I'm like, I'm doing, I'm putting like everything into music. And, you know, I'm a songwriter too. It was like every band that I was in, I was, I was a main, if not the main, uh, you know, at least a main creative contributor to the band. Yeah, me um, too. That's my favorite part. Yeah. Is writing. Writing. And, and thank God not everybody feels that way because then bands could never exist. Right. <laughs> aren't but i think that was the problem with with that band cockpit that i joined because at the time it was like i liked it i liked just being the lead guitar player i didn't have to do anything else but then after a while i was like but this isn't my band you know and i started to want that again um but there was always this visual art thing that was in the back of my head too like kind of knocking you know on this door like hey i'm, I'm still here i'm still mm-hmm. here like, don't forget about me oh and it was like it was kind of torturous you know i'm like I, I almost started to feel like am i going to hell because i'm not living out like my my destiny you mm-hmm. know i'm not attention to like who I am and what i'm supposed to be doing like i'm paying attention to part of it but i'm ignoring part of it but right how the fuck do I do it all? You know? And like, I have to pay my rent. Exactly. I can't get a fucking job. And, Oh, that was a really hard time for me living in LA. I was only there for two years and it felt like an eternity. Wow. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> and I was, you know, bartending. I was an on-call bartender at the dragonfly. Wow. I worked at the Roxy. Um, some nights I didn't even make parking money. Um, Damn. Oh, yeah, it's rough. Just never knew. And then I would work for like staffing companies and it was, it was so draining because, and I would do, I did background work too, you know, in movies. Mm-hmm. 
which which was fun, but it was draining as well. You know, it's like all these times where you you show up to work and it's always a different place. You didn't have GPS back then, you know. Right. The Thomas Guide. Thomas Guide. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, um, but so okay, so now back to this art piece, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this fucking art piece that had been in the back of my brain for like probably six years now at this point where, you know, I had part of it done. Um, so I had it laid out on my floor. I had it like this, you know, one bedroom apartment in Hollywood. What street, and, what, what street were you living on? Um, well, I was near Santa Monica and Western. So little Armenia. I was right at Lexington and Serrano. Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah, like I had right a fr- friend who lived over there. Yeah. Mm hmm. I was right off the 101, uh, the Santa Monica exit off the 101. Right. Okay. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. Like if you were going northbound on the 101 from downtown, if you mm-hmm. took the exit and you just go straight, you'd come up to where my apartment was. Wow. Okay. And it was really funny because with the first background job I did was uh, I was in a corn video. <laughs> really? <laughs> By the way, I hate corn, but anyway, <laughs> it was, you know, it, I was, I was there and there were hundreds of people there and this girl started talking to me and we just started chatting, you know, out of all these hundreds of people who were there and she's like, where do you live? And I'm like, I live near Santa Monica and Western. And she's like, so do I. And I'm like, I'm at Lexington and Serrano. She's like, me too. Wow. <laughs> we lived like right across the street from each other. What a trip. I know it's all, and we're still, you know, we're still good friends. You know, so years cool. Later. This was in 2005. Um, okay, so this fucking art piece, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have it laid out on my floor, and I was in a long distance relationship at the time. I, you know, my ex husband and I divorced when I moved to LA. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, when I lived in Tucson, and then I moved to LA. So uh, I was in a long distance relationship with somebody who lived in Oakland and I went up to visit him for the weekend, had this thing laid out on my floor, came back home after the weekend and one of my cats had peed on it. Oh my God. (laughs) No. (laughs) And there was, you know, part of it was leather, you know, get that smell out of leather. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta get the smell out. I'm like scrubbing it and spraying it with vinegar and spraying it with like enzyme spray. I'm like, (laughs) no. So finally I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take this piece apart, you know, cut a new leather piece, put it on. And like, it was like when I took it apart, it was it was almost like opening Pandora's box in a way. It would like unleash something. Or it was like I realized that this is going to be better as two pieces. And I was just so inspired. And like wow. that moment, kind of was the basis for everything that I'm doing now. It was like that triggered this 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 burst of creativity and this this new passion for art. That amazing. It still is what you know pushes me to this day. And that was mm-hmm. like. So, years ago. <laughs> yeah. So when did you, when did you get the, what inspired the initial idea? Do you remember? Or was it just kind of came out of nowhere? Because I, I don't know. It's interesting to think. Yeah. Obviously that was the big thing that you needed 
to push you in the direction you needed to be. And then it's like, you probably don't even remember where it came from, which is how that, all that stuff, that stuff usually goes. Right. You know, right. just like, you don't think much about it. Oh, okay. This would be cool. And it ends up being like the most important decision in your life. Right. <laughs> and then my cat peeing on it yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that, like <laughs> God damn it moment. Where that's it's why like, you can't okay. get, that's why you can't get mad at anything. I know. You know, you, you I always try to have the attitude that everything is pushing you towards where you're supposed to be. Right. Good or right. bad. So you kind of have to add this attitude of gratitude for whatever happens. You're happy. You're okay. You know, I'm you just like, go with it. Yeah. This must be yeah. Again, some like great surrendering thing. To the process. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to yeah. put me somewhere that I, I want to be. And so I'm happy to, have my yeah. dog piss on my artwork. Your <laughs> Aerosmith record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I remember too when um, we first moved to Tucson. We we had this. We bought this house, and it had this ugly carpeting. And we we pulled up the carpeting, and underneath the carpeting was this beautiful like clay satio tile. Uh huh. So we ripped up all the carpeting, but they had put this level this layer of plaster to kind of level it. Uh huh. It's like, oh my God, we had to scrape it all up and it was so tedious. And we were sleeping on the floor and the tile is super hard. I mean, anything, if you just like kind of tap a glass against it, it's going to crack. So I had a glass of water next to the bed or next to our mattress on the floor. And I woke up in the morning, my cat had knocked the glass of water over and the glass broke. So it's like broken glass and water all over the floor. I'm like, God damn it. But then I'm like, Hey, the water softened up all the plaster. It's yeah, real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just like wet the whole floor, and you know, again, like, hey, thanks, cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, cat, for breaking my glass and knocking my water over. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, how do you go about creating a new piece? Because I, I, I since I don't do any of any uh, uh, assemblage work. It's like, do you have an idea for a shape or is it like you have a bunch of objects that are resonating or you have a back, like you have a piece of wood that's a cool shape that you start with? Or, I mean, how do you conceptualize it? Like, how do, how do you create a piece, basically? Is it always different or do you have like a system? It can be any, any of the above. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. No like easy sometimes, answer. you know, every, I mean, usually I, I create what. I want to create um, occasionally, you know, there there's a theme for a group show that I'm in where I'm like, like I just did. Um, I think you saw the piece that I just posted yeah, last it's great. night. It's great. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. And that was for a show called all them witches, which is, you know, kind of like a witchy art show. It's going to be at cactus gallery in October. Excellent. So I was just that one. I was kind of thinking like, I don't know. How can I, what, you know, you would think that it wouldn't be something that I would have to think about too much doing a piece for a show with that theme. Right. But, <laughs> but it was, I don't know, I was kind of at a loss. And then I'm like, well, you know, let's just start with this. I had this figure. And when I think, of, you know, I didn't want to be too literal. Like I kind of looked at some of the, um, you know, I didn't want to do like, what you think of like a Halloween witch with a broom and the green skin. Yeah, and yeah. Too, all that. I'm right. just thinking, what does that mean to me? And, and the path that I follow, I don't necessarily consider myself a witch per se, but um, 
but any of the, the magic that I work with tends to be, um, you know, people talk about high magic versus low magic. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, a misconception that that, you know, high magic is good and low magic right. is bad or yeah, high no. magic is superior to low magic. Yeah, or it's, no, no. <laughs> you know, it's just high magic is more about, you know, a tradition and ceremonies and rituals and stuff that's been passed down for generations. And low magic is more about working with um, the earth sometimes or plants hmm. or... Um, I've, and, I've heard also that high magic and low magic is... High magic is more concerned with becoming like enlightenment and becoming more spiritual and low magic tends to be more like results magic, like yes. healing or I need for specific things. Yeah. I need to pay the rent this month or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, they're just too, it's, it's all the same thing. And the thing, <laughs> and like, uh, you know, the thing about being a witch or not, you know, and I've heard so many different people criticize the word and say it's edge lordy and this and that. It's like it's just a word, and you know, I'm sure technically it depends who 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 what time period you existed in. You would definitely be considered a witch if you right. were in the you know in the the middle ages and I probably would be considered a witch. And it's like, right. It's like whatever terminology works for you. Some people are like, you know, they like the light bearer thing, whatever works. It's all the yeah. same thing. Ultimately. Yeah. I think, you and know? I think God, we live in a time when you can say whatever you want. Right. Freaking burn at the stake. No for shit. It. We take that for <laughs> yeah. granted, you know, just saying that you believed in this kind of thing. They, you just immediately be killed or imprisoned or tortured. Right. It's crazy right. to think that. Yeah. And I mean, there's still, you know, witch hunts to this day. And, right. and I want to say this. I know I'm kind of going off on a little tangent again, which is, right. you know. The show's uh, all about tangents. Right. <laughs> but I just watched, have you seen this, this, uh, I think it's on Hulu documentary. It's uh, two seasons right now. I don't know if they're going to do more, but called The Devil You Know. Um, this is not the Teflon DuPont one, but it's about um, the first. I haven't watched the second season yet, but it's about this guy who goes by the name Pazuzu, and he murdered these oh, two. Oh yeah, people. yeah, I, I yeah, have, I, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that the guy? He's like. Uh, it's a series. Yeah, I've, see, I've seen it. Yeah, that guy's okay. he's crazy. He's like mentally ill. That dude. Yeah, he yes. was. He's mentally ill. He's nuts. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, with the, like the whole Damien Eccles, right. West Memphis 3 thing where they sensationalize this devil worship. And, mm -hmm. you know, with Damien, you know, of course, even that that wasn't true with Pazuzu. Um, you know, it is true. There was some devil worship and there was um, but this was there were murders. Right. But this was because he was it's they make it appear like. Because he was a devil worshiper, he right. killed people. No, he was a devil worshiper because he was crazy. He was, up. he was mentally, yeah. he was seriously, he's like schizophrenic. Yes. You know, and, and it's I like. I really appreciated the guy, the, the reporter, Chad, whatever his name was. Um, you know, he's like someone like you know, us. I didn't see that. I don't think I saw that series. I need to watch okay. it. I, I saw another documentary, like a long, sure. one long documentary on YouTube about that guy, is what I okay. saw. So I'm yeah, going to watch it. Yeah, it it's really well done. Um, this dude. I can't remember his last name. Chad something is a reporter. And um, 
you know, he's just someone like us. And he wanted to get to the bottom of the story. And he and he basically said the same thing. He just wanted to demystify this, mm-hmm. this um, you know, it's almost like this glamorization of like, you know, of fear, like fear porn, the devil, like, yep. you know, um, these symbols, this these rituals, these people were doing and these murders. And it's like, no, this guy had a fucking dysfunctional childhood. Yeah. Um, he was like all the combination, the perfect combination of what makes serial killers, basically. Yeah. Abuse. And then the devil worship illness. was the result of, of, yeah, like that, the mental illness, yeah. the childhood, the trauma. Okay, I did see it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I had to check. Yeah, I, I just saw it on YouTube in, in pieces. But yeah. You know, it's really funny because he's got this tattooed face. Yeah. And it's, it's, just watched the last episode last night. And I had a dream that like I was getting my face tattooed. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> but then I looked in the mirror. I'm like, oh, this looks really cool. But no, I'm not going to get my face tattooed. Like that. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, um, where were we? you were asking about my process? Yes. Of making assemblage work and yes. somehow got up on this and. Because I was talking about the witchy piece that I was right, making. Right. So, yeah, sometimes I will try to, to think of it in context of fitting in with a, a certain theme. And I always take that theme loosely and not literally. Um, and I, you know, do it in my way, in the way that I do. Because mm-hmm. that's the only way that I can do it. And right. if I do it that way, it's going to look like I tried to do something. And <laughs> that never works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, you know, sometimes I will just, um, my studio right now amidst all these towering boxes of supplies that I've acquired over the past few months. Um, I have so many pieces, like ideas just laid out and, um, do you like sort like items that, you know, will work, work together maybe in like piles well, and stuff? I try to store like items with like items. Okay. Uh, you know, I have like all my, my hardware in one drawer, like my, you know, drawer pools and decorative antique hardware. Okay. Um, and I've always remembered where everything was. Um, I'm just now, after whatever, 15 years of, of working this way, starting to get to the point where I have so much stuff that I'm not remembering where stuff is anymore. Yeah, you got to get, I just, that's the one thing I did when I cleaned my studio is I bought a label maker. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, label makers have been around. They had them in the 70s. Remember those old kinds that, like, you would squeeze oh, the, the handle? Plastic. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. They, you know, now now they're like, you know, or they've had them since the, the 90s, I think, these ones that just print out. And so I label everything in my studio. And I was just, just this morning, I was like, oh, I need this silver I used to paint this frame. I know exactly where it is. Because my label, I was like... Yes. Before, I would literally spend like 15 minutes, 20 minutes looking for this one tube of paint. Uh-huh. And it's, it make, it's made a huge difference just in efficiency, just labeling everything. Yeah. So oh, I okay. would highly recommend getting one of those P, P-Touch label makers. They're oh. not that expensive. Yeah. Or even just freaking like a piece of masking tape. Yeah, that'll right. work too. <laughs> uh, I got this. Um, it's like a little tall shelf with like small tiny drawers Mm -hmm. um in at the goodwill in san diego (laughs) (laughs) i'm like this is perfect and i didn't i was with tony and he was waiting in the car i'm like stop at this goodwill i just want to go in and you know see what's in here and i saw this thing i'm like oh god i hope it's gonna fit in his car I'm just going to buy it because it's only $12 and i can't pass it up (laughs) luckily it did and um 
so I put, I have all this costume jewelry that people have given me and I'm like, I need to organize it. So, um, I put it and organized it, but yeah, I have not labeled the drawers cause I kind of sorted it by, you know, chains, flowers, mm. whatever. And every time I'm looking for something, I'm like opening every single drawer. I know, it's such a pain <laughs> like, in the ass. Okay, next time I'm going to label. <laughs> it's so nice when it's just, everything's labeled and you're like, Oh, right. I need a piece of, I need a shoelace. Yeah, you know, or I need a piece of kite string or whatever. Oh, there uh, it is. It's so much easier. And what's here, I really need a bigger studio. And I'm kind of at a point where I how, do. How big is it? The studio is a guest house. So it's it's around um, 400 square feet. There's a full bathroom in there and a kitchen as well. Mm -hmm. And I gave somebody the refrigerator because I didn't need it. And I used that little kind of nook to store frames and now I have way too many frames to fit in there. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I've got, I've got a whole garage full of frames. I have to get rid of, I'm never going to use them, but uh -huh. it's like, well, it's literally like at least wow. that many frames of old. Nice. So if you want them, well, no, never <laughs> sale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have anywhere to put them, but I'll find them. <laughs> When I build my new studio. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll, yeah. Save them. I'll save them. For, I'm going to have to get rid of them be, to, when I get my book printed. Uh, my, because oh, yeah, I have to store it. them. And I have this little loft in my garage. And they'll probably, most of them will fit up there. But i got to get rid of all these all these frames. Uh, yeah. So I'll give them away. Anybody who wants them, can come, come and get them. <laughs> I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so... Yeah, that's what I do. I, I lay things out and I have little kind of call them little like vignettes, you know, ideas of things to work on. Yeah, but and, okay, um, for this one piece you just, how did you, what was the first thing, what was the first step for this last piece you did? Okay, let's see. The first step was, well, I kind of came up with the idea that I'm going to use this figure, uh -huh. you know, it's going to be centered around this. This little, you know, I guess what was at one point like a little Virgin Mary kind of statue. Okay, so you started with that and you're like, I'm going to build the whole thing around yeah, that. Okay. Clock, um, you know, housing. So I'm like, that's mm. where I'm going to start. And then the idea was like, I'm thinking witchy plants, earth. Like mm -hmm. I just want to work in that kind of theme, you know, start thinking color themes. I want like greens rounds it sounds like so much fun <laughs> <laughs> it is it and just then, seems you know, so fun and it's always the case where i lay it out i'm like okay this is what i'm going to use and then i start working and then it just you know I, I generally keep the core idea but the details change and sometimes even like you know there have even been things that i've spent a lot of time on like creating a piece to put on a piece, you know, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And pieces then once I pieces. start working, I'm like, no, this doesn't work anymore. Like it's evolved in a different direction. So but then, then you I have, have another piece. You could, you could turn right. it into another piece. <laughs> and then sometimes that will just serve as a catalyst to start something else, you know? Yeah. It's so, so interesting. So <laughs> interesting and fun. You know, it's, it's like, it's like that with designing a painting, Uh huh. but there's so much, there's more, you know, because you have to render everything. It's like, there's a point where it's just like, ah, oh, like lately I've just been painting so much. I'm just like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, cause it's like, uh, I think in, uh, I've mentioned before that 
have you seen the documentary Beauty is Embarrassing about Wayne White? Yes. He's, there's one point where he's painting. He's like, this is the ditch digging portion of right. the, the process. And most of it is the ditch digging por- portion. And so it sounds so freeing to not even have to think about that aspect of it. Yeah. You know, and really it's more about arranging and really taking taking objects that already exist and placing them and arranging them. It just seems like, like I said, it just just seems so much fun, like so much fun. Yeah. But then <laughs> the ditch digging part after that, we're like, okay, oh, yeah, now that's true. You're, figure out how this is going to work. That's true. Your ditch digging is, <laughs> you have ditch digging, it's just different. It's like a reverse process. There's no, there's no way of getting around the ditch digging, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, this looks great, but this is like physically impossible to actually make work. Like, but then I'm like, no, nothing's impossible. How yeah. do I do it? Yeah. Well, the other thing is you have to, I know this from doing my frames, is that you have to find a way to attach things that aren't going to fall off Yeah. during shipping, you know, because yeah. it's like I've gotten, I've gotten pieces that, that you know, for, for shows that are just like glued on that are, you know, they arrive with like parts dangling off because they weren't yeah. really, you know, there's a whole thing about making pieces really solid and that's yeah. a whole, a whole thing. Yes. And yeah. I feel fortunate, you know, that I went to school for jewelry and metalsmithing. Mm-hmm. So I have this really strong craftsmanship background. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's always been very important. And, um, yeah, I like as much as possible. Uh, I like everything to be kind of like screwed together or yeah. like attached in that way rather than just glued yeah, on. Yeah. And sometimes if there's like something really small or, you know, lightweight, I will just use adhesives. Do you use but, a five minute epoxy or what do you use for glue? Not so much anymore. It, you know, it all depends on, you know, what I'm gluing. You know, of course I'll use wood glue for wood and okay. frame pieces, mm-hmm. but E6000 has become like my kind of go-to. Adhesive. E6000. I've never heard of yeah. that. I got to write that down. Yeah. What can, what's it like? Uh, well, it comes in a tube. It's made by the people who make goop. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with goop? Yeah. Is it clear it's, or? What's um, it's what? clear. They do make it in black and white also. And it, it works great, It but it tends to gum up after a while. So it's like every tube I get, I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep this one nice and neat. And then, you know, I start working it just the tube, like the tip of it just keeps getting gummed up and gummed right. up. And I can't use it anymore. And then I have to open a new one. <laughs> um, that's my go-to, but you know, I do use different adhesives for different uh, fabric glue. Cause I do use a lot of fabric mm. in my work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that shit is surprisingly like bulletproof mm. when used in the right, right. way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. I mean, I, I have, I just with the kind of stuff, stuff i do with resins and casting and frames and stuff i have and my makeup effects background it's like epoxy putties Uh plumber's putty and stuff like that propoxy all that stuff is like so great when you know all the things that work for the certain aspects and you figure out a system it's like it's so nice to not be using one type of glue for every situation, but using yeah. the right glue for the right situation. Yeah. <laughs> makes all the and difference. And you know what? It's weird because I feel like when I first started doing this kind of work, um, I had to unlearn certain things that I learned in art school, especially doing jewelry and metalsmithing. Cause that's a very like, very like fine craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, 
with a history, you know, and there's certain right. things you do, certain things you don't you do. And using glue and adhesives is like a huge no no right. in that. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God, am I allowed? Am I cheating? <laughs> <laughs> there is no cheating in art. <laughs> right. I know. I'm like, no, you know, and that's kind of what I do. I, I do what I need to do to make a piece work. And, you know, I, I didn't know about that stuff at first. You were talking about the like um, epoxy clay and epoxy sculpt. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that existed. And I was going to Home Depot and buying like this um Oh, what you, it's not wood putty. It's kind of like wood putty, but the kind that actually dries. You know how wood putty doesn't totally dry? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but I was using that, and it was so messy, but I was still like, oh, cool, like this works. Right. Even though it was like, shit, it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I learned about epoxy sculpt. I'm like, oh, I can actually like mold this the way I want it and smooth it and sand yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. But then there's this part of me, too, where – you know, there's this, this so much a part of my process is learning and exploring and, 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 um, figuring things out. But so when I get a system down and it's like, okay, I know what to do. It's like, am I cheating? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know how to do this. Is that cheating? Yeah. Yeah. You're used to it being hard. Right. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's like, I think that's when, when, as we mature as artists, it's, um, and we get more experience, we become more efficient at creating artwork. Yeah. You know, because we've done yeah. it so many times. Yes. Which is which makes it more fun, I think. Yeah, because you really, I mean, it does make you better because you have more energy to put into, like, pushing your, your idea and vision. Yeah, exactly. Creating the piece. It's like less thinking about the yeah. technical aspects that aren't as creative. I mean, those are creative in their own way, but... You know, you're able to put more into the meat of the piece, the art of the piece, I think. Right. And I do, you know, like we've, we've talked mainly about my assemblage work. I do have this other body of work that's mm-hmm. uh, work on, on paper mostly. Yeah, they're really cool. Oh, thank you. And, you know, that kind of started just by doing these kind of meditative ballpoint pen drawings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I got into doing that um, – partially because it really balances out this this problem solving you know we're just sitting down with a piece of paper and they're definitely more meditative and more um free flow stream of consciousness things Mm -hmm. and i'm it's really cool because it balances that out and i you know it's like okay i can just sit here and relax and i don't go in my studio to do those i just do this at the dining room table right yeah so they're kind of like your your break when you when you get sick of the <laughs> all the technical <laughs> stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, th- that's a uh, those are um, those are like mandalas, kind of. They're like, you know, that's what they feel like to me. Like just, yeah. you know, like uh, spiritual, abstract. I don't know. They're, they're, right. they're, they, they're just, they, I just connect lines and shapes mm-hmm. and they end up turning into something. It's kind of a fascinating process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a couple years ago, uh, did a traditional Byzantine icon writing workshop in Los Angeles mm. where I learned all those, you know, um, traditional techniques with the, the gold leaf and the egg tempera. And oh, wow. All of that. And that was a really cool experience, even though 
I, I didn't know what I was getting into at the time because everybody was super religious, you know, and, and oh, one of yeah, the questions, like every, this woman went around asking everybody, okay, what's your den- denomination? And she got to, <laughs> I don't have one. And You're she's like, like, witch. <laughs> <laughs> Satan. <laughs> and then, we, you know, we would sit there and like have like our morning prayers and everything. Wow, and, like, what a trip. Just, you know, again, I'm going to surrender myself to this yeah, process. Yeah, yeah learn from it and and i loved it you know that's the that this is one of the things about uh a uh, magic when i started getting into ceremonial magic it's so christiany it yeah, really it shocked me it was like it totally wow, is wow because so, so many people that are like think it's this satanic like the satanic thing and it's like if anything it's really it's very christian it if Christ, yeah. christiany it's like lord and god and angels you know, yeah. it's it, yeah. it, it tripped me out. It tripped me out. It, but it's like, you know, I, 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 I'm with you on that. It's like if I'm in a situation, I got no problem with that. You know, it's all yeah. talking about the same shit. It's just a different tradition. Christianity is yeah. another tradition of spiritual tradition. You know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the older I guess, like the. The older I get, the less cynical I get about all that stuff. And like, oh, it's all terrible and ruining the world. And it's like, you know, <laughs> well, some people really, really depend on that to get through the day. Right. You know, it depends on your background, your circumstances, the kind of person you are. You know. Yeah. And and there's so much, you know, about Christianity in magic that is, is so much the root of Christianity that has been whitewashed. And totally. The, the what is that called the um, uh, I can't even remember these these manuscripts that have kind of been hidden for a long time. Oh, uh, the 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 Dead Sea Scrolls or the the Gnostic Gospels or the not yeah the Gnostic yeah Gnostic isn't it the Gnostic Gospels? I don't know. I have to ask Tony. It's like, so you have it, Tony, my, my it's like the the Christian Gnostics. They're like yeah. the early Christians that were like basically into mysticism. Like right. more of a mystical approach to Christianity and experiential first, yeah. you know, your first experience, you personally as a practitioner, it's all about like connecting with God yourself and being, it's like, it's more occult. It's a, it's like an occult, an occult My version will of, be done, not thy will be done. Right. Right. It's, it's like an occult, kind of an occult version of Christianity, more, yeah. more in line with, I think most people like us, <laughs> yeah. less conservative well, and. Tony, my, my boyfriend, grew up in a very religious household. Mm. Um, I did not. You know, I'm just fascinated by religious imagery. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that I grew up Catholic, and I, I did not at all. Yeah, but he was either. basically grew up being told that everything that he liked was evil. Yeah. Was I, I, yeah. I've, yeah. A lot of people that are really anti – usually the people that are super anti-religion were raised in it and it tortured by it. Yeah. And so I wasn't, so I don't have that prejudice right. against Same. it. You know? I don't either. But um, because of that, he's he's a very deep thinker, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really bothered him. And so that pushed him to really learn about religion and the history of religion. And oh. he probably knows more about the history of, of all kinds of religions than anyone I've ever met. Oh, wow. Um, we have neighbors who are Mormons. Uh-huh. <laughs> and. They've invited us over for dinner a few times, and every time it's like, okay, the missionaries are there, and they're trying to get us to go to their church. Oh, really? 
and they're very nice people. They're right. great neighbors. But I'm like, dude, we're not going to go to your church. Um, I don't have a spiritual void in my life. I right. appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> but, you know, first time I went over by myself, you know, the next time Tony came. <laughs> and, and there were these two young girls and Tony started talking. And I mean, he was just going, and these girls are probably like 19 years old. And Tony's like, well, you know, Joseph Smith, blah, blah, blah. And he's like talking about the history of Joseph Smith. Oh, and shit. Like out Mormoning the Mormons. And like after a couple hours, finally they're like, Okay, we're gonna go now. <laughs> like, that was awesome. You know? Tony's just like out talking all these religious people. I'm like, how does how do you know all this stuff? That's amazing. You know? It's fascinating. I mean, the the history of religion is really the history of humanity in a lot of ways. Because you know, culture even now, so much of our of culture is b- built on it. Whether yeah. You know, most people are not, I don't think, are religious. I don't think most people are, are are religious. I don't know what the specifics are, but less people than ever, I think, are religious. But still, the culture, it's everywhere. Yeah. In the culture, it's on the money. Yeah. In God we trust. It's like, it's, it's, in, it's in the way, the things we, like, figures of speech come from the Bible, all kinds of quotes that you don't like. I, you know, like I believe yeah, exactly. I mean, but it's it's just it's everywhere. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, I understand being like, you know, it's fucked up. There's a lot of corruption, of course, but at the same time, it's like we come from that, whether we like it yeah. or not. We were raised in that in that culture, and so it's like yeah. in there in a weird way. It's like it's, it's part kind of who like we are. Our interpretation of religion over centuries has kind of devolved into this place where it's become something that is almost against what it originally yeah, I know. It's like, for. <laughs> but 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 in a way that's like it's it's kind of like it's always been that way because even with the whole story of jesus was like he was basically telling all the 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 priests of the of of the dominant religion at the time like you guys don't get the point you're missing the point right. you and then guys he was are tortured. you are the bad guys <laughs> You yeah, know, it's like it's so it's kind of like the same thing. And it's like throughout even if you it's I every time I've heard things from the Bible that talk, it's so obvious to me that it's like they're talking about these super fundamentalist Christians now. Right. It's all the stuff in the Bible where they're saying that people that, that basically the. You know, you know what I'm saying? I can't think of anything specifically at the moment, but the, but there's so many passages about like hypocrites hypocrites that you know it's all like performative their religion and you know if you you have to find god you you should go away in your own like you know go and talk to god and you know don't advertise that that you're christian or whatever it's and it's like totally talking about these fundamentalists that don't get it right you know even back then even the bible that they're saying is the word of god you know, is talking about, it's basically a critiquing them right, and they're holding right. up the Bible and using it against people. It's so weird. Well, my old band, Andalusia Rose, this was my band in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, our last, or our, our, you know, our only full length record that we made was, well, that's not true. The one that I made with the band, I made one before I had the band, it was called First Stone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wrote that song, First Stone. I was just sitting down to write a song and I'm like, I just opened the Bible 
and I'm not an avid Bible reader, but the first page I opened to was that one, you know, like, um, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> so I just wrote the song about the hypocrisy, you know, um, do you yeah. really want to be the one to throw the first stone? Yeah. And yeah, it's about that whole concept of like, it's, what's in the Bible. You know? Yeah, it's so it's just so it's absurd. It's so absurd. In, uh, yes. But <laughs> um, shit. Anyway, I don't know. We're up, coming up on two hours, so I gotta let you go. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it went that fast, right? Fast. So, and Crick still sitting here next to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what uh, to, to to end it? What 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 do we have in the future for you in the near future? What are your plans? I mean, are you just kind of like riding the wave and surfing it and just seeing where it takes you, or do you have like an ultimate plan of where you want to be, or? Yeah, I think about that every day. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, I'm creating work and, you know, I really want to have a solo show or, or maybe not a solo show, but, you know, a featured show more than a group show where I have like one piece. Hmm. Do you have another uh, solo show or a featured show yet? No, I mean, I've given myself one mm-hmm. at La Matadora, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't had one elsewhere. Okay. Um, and that's that's a goal of mine. I really want to um, have a show with with this work because it's like seeing it together, like in context of, of all of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like it gives I can imagine it's context. The other it looks it looks so great. And I yeah. really want people to experience that where like in a group show, like, you know how it is. Your piece gets lost sometimes. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. if it stands out, you don't really get to experience the the full experience of, of somebody's work, seeing it like that. For sure, for sure. And I want that, you know, and it's not just about selling it. It's about, it's about the experience yeah. of it. Um, well, you should, you should uh, make it happen. Yeah. Put the intention out. Okay, there it is. There's my <laughs> intention. <laughs> um, so that being said, what I do tangibly have coming up in the very near future is I have my book, it's it's called the magic of eight. It's in the process of being laid out, and my goal was to have it ready on my birthday, which is August 29th. Mm. Don't think that's going to happen, but it you know it'll probably be done. You know, with the the whole you know be ready to print by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like you know, with your book, <laughs> mine's not even anywhere near as. <laughs> as uh, full and ambitious as yours but of course it has turned into a lot more than i originally anticipated is it going to have a card set well i already have the cards and a lot of people already have them so okay how many cards cards, are in in the set it's a 44 card deck wow Um, it's available on my website which is wendyleegadzook.com okay Uh, wendy with a y lee g-a-d-z-u-k is my last name thank you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so the cards are available there. Um, I did the first pressing of the cards I did was an assigned and numbered tin box, which I don't have anymore, but there are a few of those available at ghost gallery in Seattle. So cool. Um, that's the only place left where you can get those, but I have a, you know, a second run in a cardboard box, mm-hmm. which is less expensive. So, okay. So I have my book coming out and it's a haiku poem for each card. And then, you know, I have a little intro and I have uh, 
full color pictures of 12 of the drawings that I used. It's going to be a hardcover book. Wow. So I think I, I, you know, I'm going to sell that. I'm going to do an option, you know, to buy it with the cards. Yeah. And I'm thinking of doing an audio version of that as well. Oh, cool. I don't know how to do that, but I figure with our home recording stuff, we can figure it out. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't be hard. I don't think at all. Yeah. And I, then I have. Oh. Oh no! Go ahead. Go, go ahead. I have the proofs that I made to to um, that I used to make the cards with, which are basically like black and white prints that I hand painted with watercolor. Oh, um, cool. So I sold a few of those. So I think maybe I'll like add that as an option too. You can buy a book with one of those. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I, I, no, I, I was just going to, you know, not to go off on another tangent, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but I do, I, I wanted to ask you quickly, uh, how did you do the, the Oracle deck? How did you come up with this? I mean, or, okay, Oracle did- decks, I'm telling you, I keep hearing about, I mean, Oracle decks have been around forever, but lately I keep hearing about Oracle decks, and every time someone says I did an Oracle deck, I'm like, damn it, I want to do an Oracle deck. (laughs) So it's like, I'm just curious. I I doubt, I don't know if I ever will, but I'm not asking to benefit myself. I'm just curious how you did it. Because Mike Mike Carell just did a, you know, his Mysterian deck. It's like, there's, it's a cool thing. I I just, I'm curious, how how did you do it? How did you do it? Well, so Colina, the owner of La Metador Gallery, this was at the end of 2019. And we decided that the December show we were going to do together, which was the first show that we curated together. And we Mm -hmm. wanted to do an Oracle art show. Mm -hmm. And this was like October. And I'm like, well, I got to make a deck for the show, but what the fuck? (laughs) I've got two months to do this. Um, So I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do, I couldn't do a tarot deck because that would involve a lot. So I'm like, how can I do this? in enough time to get ready for the show. Like, because I don't work fast and I overthink things and my style, whether it's drawing or assemblage is, is very tedious and time consuming and detail oriented. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I have all these drawings that already exist. Right. And I see things in them. What if I just crop little sections of these drawings and see what they are? And that's what I did. I it's just, a- I, you uh-huh. like intuited what the meaning was? Yeah, like well, I just I I you know I did the math. <laughs> uh, I I figured out what size cards I wanted to make. So proportionately, I I made this little cropping tool and I just went over my drawings and I just cropped sections that looked interesting to me. Without and I had to work really fast. And this right. Was, Sometimes that's like a blessing in a way. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to second guess myself. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to do this. So I came up with these sections. I printed them out. Um, and I just wrote down what they looked like to me. And then a few of them didn't make the cut. And I decided 44 cards, that's a good number. Just because so, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you, you, um, you, 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 were you basing them on, like archetypes or i mean what what was the was it just give me an example not Not when i did the cropping maybe a little bit i'm I'm thinking like of the conceptually like what what the concept of the card is once you you figure out what it looks like what kind of titles are they you know what kind of concepts are they i took the the sections and i looked at them and i just wrote down what it looked like to me and i probably had some 
knowledge of, you know, working knowledge of like the tarot and other Oracle cards mm. in my head as I did that. Um, but I wasn't like trying to make right. them something they weren't. Um, so I just quickly wrote down what they looked like and, you know, I just had to have a lot of trust in the process because I'm like, I don't have time to overthink this. That's and great. I want to do this. I so, know I can do it. Yeah, yeah. I, but the thing is, if you would have, you know, had two years to do it. Yeah. It might not have, it, you you might have overthought it and, and totally. not had that real kind of, I don't know, spontaneous and inspired. Yeah. If anything, it doesn't, it, not having a chance to overthink it is maybe gives you the mo- most real thing. Right. You know? Right. Because that's and when you I, fuck up is when you start thinking too much I know. a lot of the time. And then you talk yourself out of it. Yeah. And then you start wondering, well, how many you know, times have you done that where you, where you've, Second guess yourself and then do this whole big thing all the way around and then you end up back right when you started. first started and you're like, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Totally. <laughs> Everything. Music. Yeah. <laughs> mixing. Even just like recording yeah. vocals. And Let me just, try that again and get a better take. Right. And then and it's, oh, yeah, the first one. That was the best one. Yeah. And that's because <laughs> we it's like because we don't trust that we can get it right the first time, I think. Yeah. So this was kind of, you know, freeing and it was very different than the way I usually work. But I'm like, I just, I got to go with it. Just bam, bam, bam. I picked 44 cards. All right. 11 of each color. Yeah. I just picked four colors. I painted on them on the, you know, I printed them out in black and white, painted on them with watercolor, named them. And then I had to number them. And, um, and then I laid them out and I realized that I, I can't remember if I, was thinking about this as I was doing it. I think it's a little of everything in the process. I kind of had an idea that it should tell some kind of a story, but I couldn't overthink it again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the tarot, it's essentially the fool's journey is what a lot of people say, like mm-hmm. the, the 22 trump cards, of the major arcana. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of has a similar story where you start out with the, the cosmos is the first card. Mm, okay, And then some of them are, you know, move into plants and animals and there's the king and the queen which are the only like human um and then you end up with the celestial crown which is kind of like back where you started you know in the cosmos oh, that's so cool yeah so amazing and it worked it worked and i started <laughs> reading with them and you know and, and and that's another thing i talk about in this book is that it's intimidating because you don't know what it's like to read with your cards until you actually have them right and they're printed and they're ready to sell, you know? Right. And, um, but they work. I mean, at least for me, I, I understand them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but I think any, anything can be an Oracle for anyone. Oh yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, it depends on the person. Coffee grinds. Yeah. Seriously. It's (laughs) like, it depends on, on the person. So anyone can, you know, if you're, if you, if you're in touch with that, your, you know that's that part of yourself you would be able to read your cards and they would be just as valid as the tarot or anything you know absolutely yeah it's and so i do like, have a goal one day to do a tarot deck but that that's going to take a lot of time yeah yeah that would be cool <laughs> but okay i have the book coming up which will be released probably sometime in september okay i'm going to do pre-orders as soon as i get um a solid number on how much the book's actually going to cost me uh-huh. um i'm gonna do i'm tony and i both are in the coaster show at gallery 30 south in pasadena 
cool. which opens in September. Um, I've got this show, this group show at Cactus Gallery in Los Angeles, which I think is going to be a pop-up at the last bookstore in downtown Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Cool. So that's called All Them Witches, and that opens, I believe, in October. Um, cool. What else? The, the um, Studio Tours, which is a local, the Morongo Basin Open Studio Tours. This is the first year I've ever done that, which, you know, a lot of the artists in this area will, will open up their studios mm-hmm. to the public. Um, so I'm not actually doing it here in my studio. I'm doing it at La Matadora with Kalina. Oh, that's cool. And then Bunny Reese Rice. I'm not sure how you say her name. Um, I think she's got a show at KP Projects right now. Oh, cool. But she's going to be showing in the front room at La Matadora. And then Kalina and I will have the back room with our open studios. Excellent. And, um, yeah, I'll have a lot of work there available. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, I'm just, that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's a lot. I'm I'm actually planning on putting some stuff in the show in September. The, the one that Paul Kudineris is not doing, (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh, but Brooke Weston and Lauren, um, Oh my God, what's her name? Lauren Kane, I think is her last name. She's a taxidermist out here in 29 Palms who oh, has wow. a company called Precious Creature. So she does a lot of pet preservation. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, she's going to have some stuff in the show. We're going to chat tomorrow about more details. Excellent. Uh, so that's going to be at La Matadora Gallery in Joshua Tree in September, opening September 11th. Excellent. Um, well, well, we'll have we'll put links to everything in the in the body of the text as well, website, awesome. which oh, is and Motorhead. The What's Motorhead, Motorhead, oh, yeah. Motorhead, the yeah. Motorhead band. Um, we have a couple of shows coming up in October. We're doing a van run in Anaheim on October second, and then we're playing at the Palms in Wonder Valley the day before Halloween on October thirtieth. Um, you know, like everything, everything's subject to change with these crazy times that we're living in. But right. as of right now, that's the plan. <laughs> Excellent. And Tony and I also have a project called Stone Levitation. It's a music project. And we've got a couple of, um, you know, demos on SoundCloud right now. And we're oh, working cool. on more stuff. What's the SoundCloud account? Uh, it's called Stone Levitation. Stone Levitation. I didn't know you never told me. Uh-huh. I, I put my my the podcast I hosted on SoundCloud. Yeah, that's where I listened to it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> now I have to go follow you. Maybe I already oh. am. I don't know. Oh yeah, I guess I'm so bad at SoundCloud stuff. So anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll find you. I'm bad with technology. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So thanks so much. That was a great conversation. Uh, thank you yeah uh, super. I'm really appreciative and honored that you asked and appreciative of all that you do for this community and, and the time you take to make this all happen and to have us all come together uh, I'm happy to do it I'm happy to do it I'm, I appreciate you you're you're very active in the community and a great positive force in the community so it's like the community is great because of people like you you know Aww. the community it is seriously it's like I get a lot of I get a lot more credit than I deserve because <laughs> it's like I'm not in the groups putting doing the posting and stuff. It's it's like you guys are all doing it. So 
but um, you're here. You're doing this, and you created like a platform for that to happen. Yeah, that's 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 true. It's like I'm doing uh, what what I what what I can what I can manage to do. You know, so I appreciate everybody else kind of picking up my slack and making that community so so great. Um, anyway, I it was great having you on. Super fun to talk to you, and uh, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And don't hang up. I okay. always forget to tell everybody that now because I'm so don't hang up, don't hang oh. up until because I have to ask you something, and okay. uh, and then we have oh, to follow say, me on Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Give give your give your Instagram. It's at Wendy underscore Lee underscore Gadzook. Again, that's G A D Z U K. Perfect. Okay, cool. So now we have to say goodbye to the audience. Oh yeah, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> goodbye, audience. Goodbye, audience.